Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this 50-year-old show from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. I'm your host, and I suffer from a rare disease called sand asthma. My co-host is Guy, who still can't believe this salsa was made in New York City. New York City? (laughs) Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So today we're discussing the chase. Once again, a Terry Nation story, once again with the Daleks, right? So we <laughs> last saw Terry Nation with Dalek Invasion of Earth, which is a story I really enjoyed, and you're a little more mixed on. had its moments. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, as with any Terry Nation story, we get to play, you know, spot the Terryisms as we go along. So we may have one or two of those as we go Maybe. along here. <laughs> now, this is uh, directed by Richard Martin. And interesting thing about him, he did a lot of the early Doctor Who stuff, and he did most of the early Dalek stuff. And a lot of Doctor Who fans hate him as a director. I mean, they just despise him. They feel that he's, you know, I don't know, uh, lumbering or uh, I don't know what to say. But all I can say is when I look back at the stories I really like in the first couple of years of Doctor Who, he directed a lot of the ones that I like. So I, I just don't have this problem with him that fandom does. Okay. With that in mind, we can see what what you think as we go along. He has some interesting things to say about this uh, in a documentary on the on the DVD. To avoid, you know, tinging your opinion or spoiling things, I will wait till we get to the end of the full story. So that'll be in our next episode. Okay. To reveal uh, <laughs> reveal all. <laughs> all right. With that, we will get to our first episode: the Executioners. Hmm. You know, we open with the last cliffhanger in which we discover the Daleks now have a time machine and are following the doctor with plans for extermination. <laughs> hmm. You know, we see now that they have built their own time machine and this was, this was something they said back in the very first episode. <laughs> and and it, it seemed at the time, like they were just kind of boasting, you know, like we don't need yep. to look at your stupid TARDIS. We'll build our own. We don't need your help. And apparently they were able to. So good for those yep, guys. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> and now we get something that's going to come up a few times. It's really bizarre. It's almost, I think, unique in the history of Doctor Who, which is we see the TARDIS going through time and space, which we'll see, you know, throughout the entire series. But unlike any other time, the music is like jazz. You know, we're getting this like jazzy sequence while while the TARDIS travels. Yeah, it's it's this snappy kind of lounge music. It's really, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is definitely an opportune place for a sound clip here. I think we do get an at least one. I've only seen the first three episodes, but I think there's at least one other place where they use it or something mm-hmm. similar to mm-hmm. it. But yeah, it's uh, it's 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 pretty pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, 
doesn't quite meet my science fiction doctor who thing, but uh, you, you've called the other thing uh, the the main uh, theme a lawnmower, so it may not work for you quite as well. <laughs> well, I think I think the lawnmower was the uh, was the TARDIS, uh, the the uh, yeah the yeah. <laughs> that's true, and that's that's part of the closing theme also. So that's right. Oh yeah. Up. Uh, so the doctor is working on the time and space visualizer that was mentioned in the last episode at the end of the space museum. And he, you know, and maybe this is the kind of thing people complain about the director, Richard Martin about, cause it's one of those things where it's supposed to be funny. Cause he, while he's working, he's holding something in his mouth so he can't talk. And Vicky comes in and she's clearly kind of bored and looking for company and she's trying to help him but everything he says is incomprehensible because he has this thing in his mouth <laughs> well have you nearly finished doctor <laughs> it's supposed to be really funny and it's kind of like eh, okay whatever <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was cute although i think i actually did the you know 10 second back button once just to <laughs> To see if like what 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 is it that he's got in his mouth, <laughs> and I, I don't think that actually is visible. But uh, no, no, <laughs> oh, well. So she can't help him. So she wander. Vicky wanders off and finds Ian, who is reading a science fiction book. And we get a huge close up called "Monsters from Outer Space." So again, you know that writer Terry Nation is a very witty fellow. <laughs> <laughs> It's a giant book. It's like, uh, I've seen a lot of science fiction monster books and I've never seen one that was, uh, looks like they got a big old, uh, you know, Atlas from the library or something and just <laughs> slapped a monster from outer space on the cover. And one bit I did think was a bit funny is Vicky asks Ian about the book and he says, oh, it's kind of far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> and he's already seen literal monsters <laughs> from outer space. <laughs> So Vicky then goes to Barbara, who's doing some work on a garment, you know, on the floor. And Barbara is empathetic and invites the downtrodden Vicky to sit down and talk with her. <laughs> when Vicky sits on this chair, it's not really her fault, but the chair just tips over. And there's yeah. a bunch of dishes, you know, like for tea or something that get dumped onto the fabric that Barbara was working with and ruins it. And Barbara gets really upset at Vicky, and it turns out Barbara was making a dress for Vicky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So Vicky just can't get a break here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She came in. I don't remember exactly what Vicky said when she walked into the room, but it was something about, it was basically, uh, you know, everybody hates me, nobody loves me, <laughs> guess I'll eat some worms, that sort of thing. <laughs> so we're back to the doctor working on the visualizer, and it starts making a really annoying, loud humming noise, and everyone comes in to complain. And then we get really extended sci-fi mumbo jumble to explain why any event that ever happened is transmitted by light and can be picked up anywhere. And I'm just like, it's okay, Terry Nation. Just say it's a time and space visualizer and we'll go with it. <laughs> we really don't need three minutes of explanation. <laughs> then uh, the doctor feels like he's finally got it fixed and he asks Ian to state a time and place he's interested in. And Ian says, 19 to the November, 1863, Pennsylvania. So the doctor plugs in the details and somehow, even though that's actually not a very precise specification, the visualizer knows exactly what to show. And it shows Abraham Lincoln making the Gettysburg address. <laughs> hmm. 
And uh, we actually do show a pretty extended clip of him doing this. I know Terry Nation, mm-hmm. I believe, had recommended they use some old movie clip, but it looked to me like they probably did it themselves. It didn't look like a movie clip to me. It looked like the scenery behind Lincoln was pretty vague, you know, not very defined. So I got the impression it was something that was put together just for this scene. But yeah, I was just, yeah, it was just like a curtain, you know, with some painting on it. Yeah. Now everyone is excited and they want to choose something to see. So Barbara inserts data into the machine and we then see Queen Elizabeth. It turns out she's dressing down Shakespeare about Falstaff and she wants him to confirm the rumor that Falstaff, which is funny because I'm actually in the process of watching through a bunch of BBC Shakespeare (laughs) shows with my girlfriend. She wants him to address the rumor that Falstaff is a joke on a guy named John Oldcastle. And Shakespeare admits that it is. And then it turns out that Elizabeth approves and she wants it to continue. (laughs) And not only that, she wants from him a new Falstaff play with Falstaff in love. And this is actually all true. There was a guy named John Oldcastle who was sort of the butt of the jokes about from Falstaff, you know, who is this fat, kind of funny, conniving guy. Mm. And... It's true that apparently Queen Elizabeth liked Falstaff and she wanted to play with him in love. And so Shakespeare wrote a play called The Merry Wives of Windsor, which, you know, Falstaff had been part of these very serious, you know, history plays, right? Henry IV, mm-hmm. Henry V, that sort of thing. Merry Wives of Windsor is completely disconnected from all that. It's a fantasy where all these women are after Falstaff and it's, you know, <laughs> kind of a comedy. It's largely considered one of his least interesting works, but it's one of the most produced because, you know, it's just fun to watch. And a lot of the, especially kind of blue haired old ladies who fund, <laughs> uh, you know, plays, uh, like to see it. So, Ooh. so it continues on as just as, uh, uh Queen Elizabeth wished. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, uh, there's another guy who, uh, drops a remark that ends up with Shakespeare <laughs> writing Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, I assume he was talking about himself because like you should write a play about the Prince of Denmark, right? And originally, uh, Shakespeare's totally uninterested, but then as he walks away, he's like, hmm, Hamlet, hmm, you know, so, (laughs) yeah. Um, now they stop at this point with the time and space visualizer in the, what you see now, but originally when it aired, there was one more sequence, which showed the Beatles actually playing music. The Beatles were fans of Doctor Who. And so they allowed a clip to be used, but the licensing for that did not continue on. So now they pull it from everything. Yeah. I, I accidentally discovered this today cause I was looking up the transcripts of the shows cause I was going to get ready to, you know, copy the quotes I wanted to <laughs> use for my notes instead of retyping them. And I happened to stumble on that and I was like, wait, they didn't mention the Beatles. What? You know, and then I read it again and it was like. No, I'm sure they didn't do that. I wasn't, I wasn't drunk, was I? And so I I looked it up and uh, like you said, I I guess some American owns the rights to the music. I think they said it was Ticket to Ride Mm. that was cut out. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess if you're, if you're in England, I think you still can see that, you know, that I think that's not cut out over there, but, but Mm. I guess us, we Americans, we get the shaft. Yep. I guess we'll have to throw throw a bunch of Doctor Who DVDs into Boston Harbor, see what happens. 
Well, if people do, I'll be there to collect them. <laughs> I have a wall full of DVDs. <laughs> and actually, there's a reason for that, which is that even, you know, we can watch most of these on BritBox now, but the DVDs that they've released over the last, say, 15 years have tons and tons of documentaries and extra material, much of which, because when they did it, didn't have licensing for streaming because streaming didn't exist. So you can't get that material unless you have the DVD. And mm. in cases where it's no longer sold, you're just out of luck. So I always buy mm. the DVD of any movie or TV series that I care about just to yeah. make sure that I've, you know, can't lose access to all that material in the future. Good plan. That's a PSA for, for kids that are listening to our episode. <laughs> I always get the hard copy. All right. So, uh, the TARDIS lands and the doctor is checking the readings and you get an unusual point of view shot. And I'm going to have something to say about this in a sec, but, and it's from the console. So, you know, the camera is taking the place of the console and the doctor is leaning over it and, you know, adjusting controls and everything. Very unusual shot. Never seen it before in Doctor Who. And then the doctor opens the doors and they head out. And my comment on this, and, and we're going to see it multiple times here, is it, you can really tell that Richard Martin was trying to do some interesting and clever directorial things where he would choose unusual angles and, and other stuff. And I, you know, I totally appreciate that, but I'm going to say overall, it was just kind of distracting because it wasn't, it, it didn't tell something different about the story or anything. It was just, oh, here's an un really unusual shot that then kind of makes you notice that it's an unusual mm -hmm. shot. And I think that's maybe not a good thing to do. So, yeah. yeah. So they leave the TARDIS and they're on a planet and Barbara complains that it's hot. <laughs> it turns out it's a planet with two suns. And it's a desert planet. So I'm going to say, and, and I think we don't see anything that would contradict this. I think this is Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which also Very means well that Star Wars is kind of a minor part of the Doctor Who universe. <laughs> <laughs> could be. You know, that could explain why there is that big, well, we haven't found out yet about the ocean draining, but I just gave it away. So there it is. <laughs> yeah. But that could explain why there was that big dead skeleton in the desert in Tatooine. Yep. In the next episode, we'll see the Daleks, Daleks, uh, <laughs> roaming around the sands, and they're they're combing the desert like the stormtroopers, or or like the space balls for that matter. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they're surrounded by sand dunes, and there are these statue-looking things dotting the landscape couple of them start to head out and the doctor gives Ian a TARDIS magnet. We've never seen this before <laughs> so they can find their way back. Yeah. They keep adding all these little <laughs> things, you know, like the doctor's ring suddenly becomes like a secret power source and right. they, they keep just sort of throw these things in here whenever it's handy. <laughs> yeah. And then of course they disappear in future stories cause they would be inconvenienced. <laughs> so yeah, he gives that to Ian and Ian and Vicky run off into the sand dunes and the doctor stays behind with Barbara in running off. Vicky steps on something and cracks it open. It's some kind of shell thing. And I'm just like, okay, this is very reminiscent both of the Daleks, right? Where they find the kind of hollow metal creatures mm -hmm. that have been frozen and also a non-Terry Nation one a couple stories ago where they stepped on a carapace and, and opened it. But anyway, it's just sort of, yeah, we, we're familiar with the running around and then stepping on something that's hollow. And, uh, they can't figure out what it is. But when they walk away from this spot, we see a tendril come out of the sand and wave around. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty ominous. Something that may be worth mentioning here is, 
you know, when they're first heading out, they see all the little statue things that you mentioned, and and some of them look like they might be figures of humans. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're, a lot of them are little, they look like they might be something that's frozen in place. Yep. At least in the first three episodes, I don't think we've ever found out anything yep. to suggest that they're anything but like a coral reef or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so spoiler on this, the director and the designer just threw them there to provide something interesting in the landscape and have it not just be sand. So they, oh, okay. They, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it's really weird to have that and not have it be sort of a story element, you know, yeah. of some kind. And that was a really weird thing where the doctor and Barbara are laying uh, there on pillows, tanning themselves in the dual suns, which I'm going to say maybe both not the healthiest, but also you're going to get a sunburn. Trust me. <laughs> and, the, and again, weird. The doctor has this straw hat he's waving around while he's singing, you know, like old songs. <laughs> What's that awful noise? Yeah. I beg your pardon, awful noise is a way to talk about my singing. No, Doctor, not that awful noise. The other one, listen to it. And Barbara complains about the awful noise and he takes offense, but she's actually talking about the whining that's coming from the visualizer in the TARDIS. And so she goes into the TARDIS to switch it off. But what happens is she sees on their video of the Daleks making plans to come after the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> That may be another example of, uh, I think we may have talked about it back in that one, uh, the two-part episode, what was it called? Edge of Destruction? Yeah, yep. uh, Where the idea that maybe the TARDIS is doing some things deliberately to manipulate <laughs> the crew into saving various peoples from whatever. So, I mean, this is, this is a huge coincidence. Uh, <laughs> right. And also, totally for the, the the visualizer and all the things it does are just for this story. Because here's a spoiler for the future: it disappears and we never see it again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, that's too bad. It, it's kind of a slick little device. It is, well, but you know, it's a you slick, just think big device. Yeah, it is. It's really <laughs> big. Uh, but if you think about it story wise, it's sort of like the problem they have with cell phones now, where it makes it hard to do a suspense movie when everyone could just call mm-hmm. each other. Um, if you <laughs> yeah. have a device that you can see anything in time and history, you know, it's like it just kind of makes it hard to tell a story. So I think you you get oh, ready yeah. as soon as you can. <laughs> I think it was Isaac Asimov. Maybe uh, there there was a good science fiction story about that where somebody was really pleased because he'd built a machine that could visualize the past. And then somebody points out to him, well, what if you use that to look 10 seconds into the past? You can basically <laughs> see anybody <laughs> at any time doing whatever they're doing. And, right. Yeah, it just basically completely would change the world. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things we see in this video is that the Daleks are pissed off that their conquest of Earth was delayed by the doctor. <laughs> it's a little bit of continuity there. And they want to annihilate, and they will pursue the humans through all eternity and exterminate. And we're going to, I'm going to say there's like a, a Dalek thesaurus or something, because throughout this story, they're going to try and come up with every word they can for these things. <laughs> yeah, they do come up with a few different synonyms here. But that's nice. Yep. They're, they're trying to change it up a little. Yeah. <laughs> and the doctor comes in and points out that, well, what you saw in the video must have happened in the past, so the Daleks are already on their way. 
And they realize Ian and Vicky are out there and the Daleks might already be out there. So they better go and get Ian and Vicky. And then we go to Ian and Vicky and they're wandering the desert, trying to follow kind of what seems to be a trail of fossilized blood. That was probably what Vicky stepped on. Hmm. And they're getting really exhausted and they sit down to rest and they realize they need to get back and they have a whole conversation here. And while they have the conversation, it gets dark very quickly that Ian finds a big ring in the sand. It's kind of, seems to be a handle to something and he wants to pull on it. And mm -hmm. Vicky stops him and she has this whole story about when she was a kid and they found a ring in a field like this and it, it never really goes anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't matter, yeah. but, uh, she eventually agrees that he should pull on the ring. Yeah, this is this isn't like a finger ring. It's like a big door yeah. knocker style ring. Yeah. So uh he pulls it out of the sand and it just turns out to be kind of a pole at the end uh, with a little like fork or something, but nothing actually seems to happen. So they head back toward the TARDIS, but behind them, <laughs> probably where he pulled that out, there's a sound and a panel retracts in the sand. <laughs> so they come and look. Yeah. And when a big hole opens up in the sand, you know, what you definitely want to do is go down into it. So Vicky, oh, yeah. <laughs> Vicky descends to check it out and Ian follows her. And then behind them, once they get in and kind of walk off in whatever room they're in behind them, a tendril reaches up and closes the opening <laughs> <laughs> and they turn around and see the creature that's attached to the tendril. And it's got these eye stock with glowing eyes. And then we switch to Barbara and the doctor and they're lost in the desert while trying to find Ian and Vicky and they're trapped in a windstorm and they're trying to find their way back to the TARDIS <laughs> and they collapse in the sand and we transition from night to day. And I just had a call back to keys of Marinus. If you remember Barbara and probably Ian collapsed in the snow and were there like overnight mm. or something. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's when they met the the frontiersman who turned out to yeah. be a jerk. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. <laughs> uh, we go to the next day. Barbara and the doctor are alive, although they've been somewhat buried in the sand. And Barbara points out that the whole landscape has changed, so now they have no idea where they are or where the TARDIS is. And in the distance, <laughs> something emerges from the sand, hacking and wheezing, <laughs> and it's a Dalek <laughs> or a model of a Dalek. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds like a sick puppy or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, I got to put the audio in here. And the funny thing is, you know, again, it's Terry Nation trying to recreate that actually rather well done moment from Dalek Invasion of Earth, right? The end of the first episode, the Dalek comes up out of the water, right? And people are kind of shocked mm. and it's a famous moment. So here we have the Dalek coming out of the sand, except it's coughing and wheezing, but also it's the end of the first episode. So good for you, Terry. You managed to repeat one of your bits once again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we see this Dalek rising out of the sand, uh, coughing like a weak, sick puppy. <laughs> Barbara and the doctor, uh, they're hiding behind some rocks, and they see it coming out. Barbara says there's more of them, and sure enough, there are. There's a few of them scattered around the sands here. And they overhear the conversation. Some of them are going to use seismic detectors to find the TARDIS. And others will go look for the humans. 
They make a point of noting that the humans aren't to, to be taken alive. They're going to be yeah, of course not. killed. <laughs> I, I will say the seismic detector thingy, so some of the Daleks, their arm, you know, they tend to equip their arms with different things depending on their purpose. And so they have this little gyroscope thing at the end of their arm. It actually looks pretty cool, right? It's kind of a compass inside yeah, a gyroscope. It's, you know. it's not bad. Yeah, it has a little needle that moves back and forth. So, yeah, it's it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> when the Daleks have gone on their way, Barbara and the Doctor, they make their move to go find Ian and Vicky. But as soon as they emerge from the rocks, they see two aliens. <laughs> uh, and these aliens, they've got fins on their heads, and they've got long fins going all the way down their backs. I guess that would be called a dorsal fin, but mm -hmm. something like that. The costumes, I think, are a mixed bag. I mean, on the one hand, they're <laughs> you can tell right away they're supposed to be some kind of Aquaman. You know, so mm -hmm. that you know, gets the point across. But they're also very obviously costumes. They're wearing, you know, some kind of leotard or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's probably not the worst costumes we've seen on Doctor Who, but uh, also not the best. It also, their entire heads are covered in makeup, just not a fancy makeup, but just kind of a flat color. But I have to imagine these actors, you know, having to sit in the chair for an hour or two. Well, oh, yeah. You know, I always them. I think the makeup, uh, it looks kind of metallic, doesn't mm -hmm. it? At least yeah. to me. It <laughs> Probably they got cancer from it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so then we see underground and Vicky is screaming. Ian is uncharacteristically insulting here. He says, don't just stand there and scream, you little fool. Run. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Vicky's not turning into Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he could have got the same message across uh, in fewer words by leaving out the insult, <laughs> which when you have to run, you probably want to be concise. Is it, uh, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings says, uh, run, you fools, right? So he could have <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That would have worked very well. Or just run. <laughs> yeah, don't build any uh, harsh feelings there. <laughs> But anyway, they do run, and they run right towards another one of these tentacle beasts. Now, I got to, <laughs> I just, I laughed for like 30 seconds because I mentioned, and I think this is accurate, at the end of the first episode when we saw the tentacle beast and we saw its eyes, the eyes were glowing. But now we see the eyes, and they are literally googly eyes. They're literally <laughs> like that thing with the, you know, the pupil that kind of moves around in the white oh, eyeball. Yeah. And, I was, and I just couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> I wish I had noticed that because I, uh, I probably would have laughed myself. But I, <laughs> I must've been focused on another part of the seat. <laughs> I'll take the word yeah, for I, it. Yeah, I though. recommend I you go it. back and check it. It's worth it. <laughs> All right, very good. <laughs> and when they do encounter this, <laughs> the googly eyed beast, um, Vicky gets her own back at Ian. She says, oh, don't just stand there gaping, you nit. Come on back. <laughs> and then there's more running, and that's the end of that little scene. Mm -hmm. uh, we see a Dalek patrolling in the desert, and he spots human tracks. And his perceptor is detecting someone coming. Yeah, now, originally, this thing was supposed to detect the TARDIS, but now it detects sort of whatever it needs to detect, I guess. <laughs> 
Well, I, you know, they, they, they call it a seismic something or other. So maybe it's, it's yeah. detecting his footsteps like, like a sandworm in Dune, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> they detect your footsteps. So yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> this is a fish man that it detects and uh, the poor guy doesn't really get much of a chance. Uh, when he gets close, the Dalek shoots him and he dies. It's not clear he's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he he he, uh, he may have just been trying to check out what these robot-looking people are doing here. But uh, uh, a Dalek shoots him. A Dalek. I, I, I guess it's just a difference between an American and British vowel. You know. I guess <laughs> I think Dalek is the American yeah. way to say it. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Anyway, poor fish man is shot. He dies, and it's uh, and they're using. I like that they're keeping up this tradition. They're they're still making the screen go negative yeah. <laughs> whenever uh, whenever somebody yeah. gets shot. So it's a it's good. So one of the Daleks says uh, to the others, "An Iridian." Well, he he says, "An Iridian." <laughs> Iridians, you know, spelled A R I D. That is uh, that's sort of one of the Terry Nation trademarks. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say, yeah, a, that, that's a, where it's just fun, right? You're like, okay, what uh, names are he gonna use? In this <laughs> <one>? <laughs> yeah, you got an arid planet. Well, you got your Iridians. Yep. Problem solved. At least, at least he didn't call him, you know, fish guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what I'll be doing throughout my uh, portion of the show here. <laughs> the Dalek says, one of the species that inhabits this planet, unimportant, continue the search. So they have, we already knew they had little regard for other sentient life, but. Uh, yeah, but for having just, come here in their time machine, like for some reason they knew the names of the species and what was here already. You know, it's a little hard to believe they'd been here before, but, uh, maybe there's some, uh, galactic, uh, not dictionary. What's the, well, they probably have a big archive like the Jedi do or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so elsewhere in the desert, the doctor and Barbara are talking to these two fishmen who have appeared or Iridians. The one fish man, he moves, he is, Sort of this elegant gracefulness, sort of like the Monoptera, but yeah. a lot less theatrical. You know, they tone yeah, it down a bit. Still here. doing that kind of dance move, and his voice is similar. So it's very much, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they use like the same actors or something from the Monoptera, yeah, which that, is the web that could be. Yeah, that was a pretty recent episode, so they might well have just brought some people back. The fishmen explain that this desert. It was once an ocean, and the Iridians had an underwater city. This was a city where the great would not be constrained by the small. <laughs> that was my little Andrew Ryan impression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't say that. It's just an underwater city. I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose... 
But now it's not an underwater city anymore because uh, the twin suns of the planet kept getting closer and closer, and that made the ocean dry up. This all took place over a space of a thousand years, they say. Mm -hmm. All the sea life died too, except for the mire beasts, which are, we'll learn, the uh, tentacled guys that we've seen already. I'm going to call them the googly-eyed guys. (laughs) There you go. That works too. So if all the sea life died, it's not yet, in the, at least in these first three episodes, it's not clear what exactly they're eating, uh, unless it's just mire beasts. Oh, well, whatever. If, <laughs> if it works for them, it's all right by me, I guess. What happened once the seas dried up is the mire beasts invaded their underwater cities. And now the mire beasts attack and eat humans, or fishmen, as the case may be. And the doctor seemed appalled to hear this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why, because I don't know what else he would expect the Meyer beasts to do, but uh, <laughs> they eat humans, so that's that will play a little bit of a part in a little while here. Barbara mentions they have two friends that they haven't seen since last night. And, of course, the Meyer Beasts hunt at night, and so uh, that's kind of scary. Yep. We, know that, we know that, at least for now, Ian and Vicky haven't been eaten, but the doctor and Barbara have no, uh, no way of knowing that. One of the fishermen speculates that they could still be alive if they had gone through a particular nearby airlock into the tunnels. But, <laughs> in another shocking coincidence... <laughs> That airlock that's presumably been around for the city's thousand-year history is to be exploded today at high noon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the doctor leaps up. It, now, this, this scene, it's, the way it's shot, the scene is a little bit hard to interpret. It looks like, at hearing that the airlock is to be exploded, it looks like the doctor leaps up and may be about to attack one of the men. Now, we know the doctor's generally a peaceful kind of guy, so he probably <laughs> he probably just alarmed one of the fishmen by leaping up because the, you know, the Iridian backs off when he does that. After a little more talking, the fishmen say that they'll, they'll try to move fast to get to the airlock and help, you know, help prevent the explosion. But then we see the detonator. And another fishman is there operating it. He says to himself, it's high sun. <laughs> Down below, a tentacle grabs Vicky underground. But up above, the fishman pushes the plunger. <laughs> and there's a cave-in. Vicky's okay, but Ian is knocked out. <laughs> and Vicky says, uh, both to Ian and to herself, Ian's unconscious. Uh, she says she'll find the doctor and get help. So the doctor and Barbara and the two fishmen they've been talking to, they arrive at the gate to the city. The doctor warns the fishmen about the Daleks, and he's, he's concerned for them. He doesn't want to get them involved, the Iridians involved, if they can help it. But they want to help. Then they invite the humans down to their city. And then we switch to a Dalek in the desert who detects the TARDIS with his seismic whatchamacallit. <laughs> he says it was buried by last night's storm. His companion says that they'll take some Iridians prisoner and use them to dig the ship free. Practical. <laughs> yeah. And then down in the city, the doctor is settled in, 
He's eating some Meridian food, and he finds it delicious with a most unusual flavor. <laughs> so, and Barbara is rather upset that he seems unconcerned for the welfare of their friends. He's just chowing down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're hungry, you're hungry. Yeah, yeah and he kind of defends himself, like, oh, you got to eat sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So presumably the food he's eating, I I don't know if the, we ever find out what it is, but you know, it's got to be either Meyer Beast or uh, Iridians who have passed on. Uh, <laughs> Soylent green Iridians? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, though, it's delicious with a most unusual flavor. So Barbara, she's up next to a little wall made of stone blocks. It looks like they're they're stacked up in an archway. And she, she takes a nap lying against this wall. The fishmen return. The doctor asks about that wall that Barbara's leaning against. And it turns out that that's a blocked off section of the city that the Meyer beasts have taken over. Yeah. One of the fishmen, Malsan, has discovered that the Daleks have communicated with the city's elders, and it's not good news. The Iridians have to hand over the humans or the Daleks will destroy what remains of the city. So far, the elders haven't made a decision, um, and the Daleks have generously given them half a day to answer. Yeah, and I think we find here there's a little bit of uh, BS being served to the doctor because we have a moment based on what they're saying where we're like, oh, we don't know what we're going to do, etc. And then... You know, when the doctor says, well, I guess, uh, you know, Barbara and I will be leaving. It's like, well, actually, we do know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah. guy was totally lying to him. <laughs> well, it's it's not clear that the elders had decided to hand them over, but it's it's a real possibility. And, and if the elders do decide to hand them over and they're not there to be handed over, then you know, right. it's not good. So. So they're going to have to stay as prisoners is the, is the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> now, elsewhere underground, Vicky finds steps going up to the surface. And these conveniently lead right to a spot <laughs> overlooking the fishmen prisoners who are digging out the TARDIS or have just <laughs> finished digging out the TARDIS. So that's, that's at least the third uh, very convenient coincidence we've had so far <laughs> in this story arc. And now that the TARDIS is uncovered, the Daleks decide the Iridians are worthless, inferior creatures and kill them for <laughs> no particular reason. I mean, it's well, not like you know, they did anything, you know. No, but otherwise <laughs> you got to like fill out a requisition form and get them paid. And you know, it's, it's a lot of yeah. hassle. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good target practice too, I guess. <laughs> So having taken care of the uh, the fishmen, the Daleks try to destroy the TARDIS, and uh, the weapons they're using they refer to as neutralizers. I don't know if we've ever heard this term for their little hmm. negative ray things, but their neutralizers is the current official term anyway, and they don't work on the TARDIS. It's made of tougher stuff than that. So so there is actually. Something consistent going on here, because mm -hmm. very early in the series, the doctor said that it was practically indestructible from the outside. Yeah, and we saw that in the web planet, right, when they did all that work mm -hmm. to try and get in and, and shoot at it and everything. Yeah, so definitely yeah. there's some special things about the TARDIS. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
since it can't be destroyed, for now, they leave two Daleks as guards over it, over the TARDIS. Meanwhile, Vicky starts to return downstairs to Ian. She's seen enough of the TARDIS hijinks. In another part of the city, the doctor wakes Barbara. She's been sleeping up against that block wall. And not long after she wakes, a fishman arrives, and he reports that, not surprisingly, the humans are to be handed over at sunset, which is two hours from now. The doctor seems philosophical about it. He says, they have no choice. <laughs> He's also, he mentions, I think, in there that they're going to be handed over for execution. So there's no, and after the execution is when the Daleks will deliver on their deal for the fish guys. <laughs> Yeah, if they deliver. They say that, yeah. I mean, I no, really, really the only part of their deal is we won't destroy your city. And, uh, yeah, I could see that going either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's almost the end of this scene, but just before we move to Ian, we see an ominous trickle of dust falling from the stone block wall that Barbara was sleeping against. Could be there's something going to be happening there in the future. We'll see. Meanwhile, Ian is coming too. He's been unconscious. He got a good rap on the noggin from the cave-in. He calls for Vicky, and Vicky is running through the tunnels. It's, uh, it looks as though she may have heard him calling for her, but she's grabbed by a fishman. <laughs> and this fishman takes her to the room where the doctor and Barbara are. Vicky, I don't think at first uh, she hasn't yet seen Dr. and Barbara. She kicks the fish man and he bends over, you know, wounded her, or at least uh, stunned. Vicky tries to escape. There are fishmen guards at the other exits, but she hears Barbara call out when Barbara recognizes her, so she goes to Barbara. Vicky explains that Ian got a bad knock on the head, and she also mentions that she found the TARDIS. The doctor starts speaking like he's trying to make a plan, but just then the other fishermen return, and they say, it's time to go, which means time to go to the execution. Mm -hmm. Just then, uh, coincidence number four <laughs> or more, uh, Meyer Beast tentacle gets through the block wall, and it grabs Barbara. She escapes, but in the chaos, one of the Iridians falls prey to the Meyer Beast. And, uh, and the humans make a run for it through the tunnels. And we get a good close-up now of the Meyer Beast, which we haven't really had a good clear view of the whole beast before. And it's, it's kind of cheesy. It's not awful, but it, uh, you know, it's got some redeeming qualities. It's sort of octopus-like, but it has on either side of its head, it is, well, I don't know if you'd call it a head or a central column or what you'd call it, but... But it's got, like, these big swollen pouches on either side of it. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a weird, creepy-looking thing. You know, mm. it's a, you, can, you can tell it's basically a big sack of some kind. <laughs> but but uh, it looks okay. I'll, uh, mm. yeah, I'll, I'll give some, some props for that prop. <laughs> Ian ends up finding the same exit that Vicky did. He goes up those stairs, and he sees the Daleks watching over the TARDIS. And a third Dalek rejoins the guards. He says, the prisoners have escaped. The fishmen have been given one hour to recapture them. 
So two of the Daleks go off pro probably to look for the humans. One single Dalek is left on guard over the TARDIS. Vicky, who remembers the way to the exit, is reunited uh, with Ian. And, of course, the uh, Barbara and the Doctor were going with Vicky. So they're all four reunited now. Vicky and Barbara are going to get into position so that when they can, they'll duck into the TARDIS. Ian, on the other hand, has a plan. He <laughs> asks for Barbara's cardigan, which he did in an episode not too long ago, I think. Actually, yeah, the Space Museum the, where they, they actually <laughs> ripped it apart <laughs> to use it. Yeah. And I like, she does this little thing where she sighs and says, not again. And that couldn't have been Terry Nation because he probably wouldn't have known about the previous story. So maybe, you know, mm. they made that up on the spot or something, but it was no, pretty it funny. Could, could be an ad lib, man. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so yeah, he's, he's ruining another cardigan. And he also asked the doctor for his coat. And the doctor says, my dear boy, we're trying to beat the Daleks, not start a jumble sale. <laughs> Although I inferred the meaning, I looked it up to be sure, and, and, and sure enough, it's a jumble sale is the same thing that we would call a yard sale or a garage sale. Right. Now, the funny thing here, though, is that Ian is being all mysterious about why he wants these things. He could just tell them, but <laughs> I guess it would make the story not quite as you know interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they were... Uh, Following Ron's axiom, you know, yeah. if you if you describe the plan, then it's going to fail. <laughs> but I'm also going to say, I I couldn't tell how they were actually used. We don't, you know, you you know what he's going to do, but you never actually really see it come to fruition. <laughs> well, you you, you yeah. see some of it. I mean, because well, we'll we'll go on and I'll yeah. describe what I think it was. <laughs> okay. So there's a hole or a ledge, or maybe a ledge that overlooks a hole and it's not clear exactly what but the idea is ian lays down some sticks that are extended over the edge of the ledge and he crisscrosses them so they're sort of supporting each other and then he lays the clothes mm -hmm. on top of those sticks so that the coats will kind of be bait and they're sort of just hanging over this little void and the Ian and the doctor, they head to different locations to herd the Dalek. And Ian starts off, whoo, Dalek, over here, friend. <laughs> <laughs> the Dalek shoots, but Ian is already ducked into cover. Yeah, and I'm going to call into question here. We see a lot of this. There's all this thing where the Daleks shoot, and then our friends have plenty of time to duck down. <laughs> I was thinking, like, <laughs> if somebody shot a machine gun at them or something, it wouldn't be like, oh, look, they shot the machine gun. Now I'm going to duck. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a few of these, a few of these takes, the, uh, the timing does seem a little off, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what they were getting at. So it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> the doctor says, you auntie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same thing. The doctor hides the Dalek shoots too late to get him. And now even Vicky, who's supposed to be staying quiet, she can't resist joining in. She says, Oi! <laughs> this happens a couple more times. Everybody takes a turn, except for Barbara. Barbara doesn't take a turn. Finally, the Dalek starts moving around, trying to look at the source of the noise. Presumably, you know, from the angle that we see it, it's a little murky. 
Uh, presumably it sees the clothes lying on the sticks that are over the, over the hole. It falls for the trap, tumbles over the ledge. Ian says, try and get out of that hole, friend. <laughs> yeah, it's this weird little thing he's doing where he's calling them friend over and over. But yeah, this is my problem with his little plan. And it's really just a little directorial thing. Like we don't get one shot where you see, you know, their coats in the cardigan and, and understand why the Dalek is going there. You just see the Dalek go and fall in the hole. So, you know, it's just a little yeah. thing they missed or something that made it feel like it didn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think. I think the idea was that Doctor and Ian would would make their calls from the general direction of the trap. Then the Dalek would head over that way, see the coats, and go right, right. for them. Yeah. So they've succeeded. But it turns out three more Daleks are on the way. Just in time, though, the crew gets into the TARDIS, which is uh, Im- impenetrable to their uh, to their weapons. And, uh, they, uh, send the TARDIS on its way. The, the crew that is sends the TARDIS on its way through time and space. And one of the Daleks says, we will embark in our time machine at once. The Dalek Supreme has ordered there to be pursued through all eternity, pursued <laughs> and exterminated. So that's uh, quite a pursuit there through all yeah. eternity. Well, one of the things I love is that this episode was called The Death of Time, and the next episode <laughs> is called Flight Through Eternity, and these titles are epic, right? <laughs> I'm not sure the uh, content of the episodes quite match up to the uh, promise of the titles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've watched this episode twice, and I didn't see time dying in it at all. <laughs> so onward to the Flight Through Eternity. And we're in the TARDIS and the crew is excited to have escaped and Barbara and Vicky are dancing in delight. <laughs> really happy. But something I notice here a lot in this episode is each time we see them in the TARDIS control room, we get kind of a different version of it. So sometimes when they're in the control room, it's all the roundels or kind of the photocopies of the roundels mm-hmm. behind them on the wall. And other times it's all this computer interface that we don't usually see. And it's just sort of random, which you know, Hmm. kind of wall you see every time they're in here. It's just interesting because 99% of the time in all of the show of Doctor Who, it's the roundels, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So after some fluffery among the the crew, the console starts making a noise and the doctor says it's his time mass detector, which he made part of the ship when he constructed it, but it's never gone off before. So one Hmm. more thing we've never heard of. (laughs) And we will never, ever hear of again. <laughs> uh, <all right. laughs> and once again, as they're discussing this, we get an unusual camera angle. This time it's above the doctor and the Ian looking down at the console in a very high angle for no particular reason, but I guess they were just trying to have fun. And the oh. doctor says his time mass detector going off can only mean one thing. Another time machine is traveling on the same route. Mm-hmm. And now we get more jazz music as the TARDIS travels through time and space. I was wondering, you know, with these jazz interludes that we've had two of them now, if that might be one of those things that they use to cover for, uh, like a scene change, you know, how sometimes (laughs) they'll put in, uh, they'll put in a little, 
filler to cover up people moving from one place to another or something well like i that. think you have a point because i have a, a comment here which i didn't realize might be connected to that in a moment and we'll see so we see uh apparently behind the tardis there's another machine going through time and space it turns out it's the dalek's time machine and again we get a attempt at i think a fancy shot where the camera is close in and there's a dalek that's like descending in an elevator and then the camera pulls back and I don't think it really works, but I think, again, it was just the director was trying to do something interesting. <laughs> now, one of the things yeah. I do think is funny is that all around them on the walls are these wacky hypnosis-style monitors. So you have these kind of, you know, lines in these, um, in, in what I can only call a hypnosis look, uh, and they're rotating. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they do look like those spiral pinwheel type yeah. things, except they're rectangles, which is yeah. a, a little different. Yeah, so, so what they do to deal with that is they have like an inner circle that rotates, right? And the outer part mm -hmm. of it is just static. Uh, but it's interesting. And there's a whole bunch of time spent here. And again, maybe it's actors getting into new locations because a whole bunch of time is spent with Dalek chatter about following the doctor. And it doesn't tell us anything, but they spend like two, three minutes talking about it. And then we're back to the TARDIS. And this is the point that I think connects to what you said, because suddenly we have the round all walls behind them. Just a moment ago, they had the computers mm. behind them. So they probably did change sets for some reason. Hmm. And the doctor is figuring out what to do. And he says it takes 12 minutes for the computers to change their flight plans. So they're always going to have the Daleks behind them by 12 minutes. I, I think he also said that there was some kind of recharging they had to do mm. or something like that. I, I don't remember. Yeah, exactly. yeah, there was some kind of battery recharging. And then Vicky points out that the time rotor on the console is slowing down. Again, we've never heard and never will hear again of the time rotor. <laughs> and the yeah, it's, it's part of the fluid link. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fluid link's a pretty complicated system. <laughs> the doctor says that the time rotor slowing down means they're landing. <laughs> again, they've landed many times. We've never heard of it. Okay, whatever. But where are they <laughs> landing? And now we see stock shots of the Statue of Liberty. Could it be? And then, yes, we see New York skyline stock shots along with more jazz. <laughs> now we get, again, one of these fancy camera shots where it's like a close-up of this fancy hat with a, a feather coming out of it. It turns out to be this kind of, you know, older woman who's sort of dressed up. And she's with some other older women. And they're on a tour on the top of the Empire State Building. And now we get into this situation where, you know, they have all British actors where they are doing these Americans. So we have this tour instructor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I think it's supposed to be a New York accent. And he's mm -hmm. like, this is oh, the yeah. tallest structure in the entire world. <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, um, it's not the worst New York accent, but it's, uh, it's not the best either. <laughs> <laughs> and he makes this joke that, uh, well, I can believe, I guess, a tour instructor, uh, director making it, but I'm, you know, it's not the best joke in the world. So uh, it takes seven minutes to get to the top floor in the elevator, but if you want the fast way down, it only takes 30 seconds to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that one. It's a, it's a good, it's a good dad joke. You know? it's a... <laughs> And uh, I don't want to say the BBC might be stereotyping Americans, but all of you like they, they have this fat guy going around, they keep showing, you know, it's like, oh, look, a fat American, you know, and, and then there's a guy in a cowboy hat who's got a portable handheld movie camera, which must have been really expensive and fancy at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's really small. It's kind of like a trigger mechanism, right, where you point and 
do the trigger. Probably can only do like a minute or two of film. Right. And he's looking through a telescope and well, oh, everybody else kind of wanders off and he gets interested in this telescope and he's looking through it and behind him, the TARDIS appears and you know, the, this guy in the cowboy hat is looking out of the view and he said, we sure don't have anything like that in Alabama. No, sir. <laughs> yeah. And this, now this, this accent is the one that I, I, I think the New York accent was done better than this guy's accent. <laughs> this one, I'm just not buying. <laughs> then he turns around and notices the TARDIS and it's like, I guess that's New York for you. <laughs> And Barbara comes out of the TARDIS and she's totally freaked out by this guy. And she asks him what year it is. And he says, you mean you have different years here? <laughs> and she says, now note, you know, there's a little, uh, continuity problem. She says, well, what year is it in Alabama? <laughs> now, how the hell did she know he was from Alabama? <laughs> she, well, she recognized the accent. Obviously. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and he tells her it's 1966. And then Vicky comes out and actually I like, here's a light. I like and Vicky comes out and looks around and says, I recognize this place. It's ancient New York. <laughs> and I think by her timeline, that would have only been four or 500 years in the past. So ancient might be overstating it. A little. <laughs> oh, well. We have the doctor and Ian come out and you know, the Alabama guy is like, how many more of you are in there? Must be a tight squeeze. <laughs> And Ian points out to the doctor with the, all the people around here, the tourists and everything, this is not a good place to deal with the Daleks. So the doctor tells everyone to get back on the TARDIS while they wait for the computers to do a new flight path. And the Alabama guy guesses that they're from Hollywood, making a motion picture. He says, you all are probably in a chase. <laughs> and the doctor says something. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's funny because the doctor's like, yes, we're in a chase. <laughs> okay, great, great title uh, call there. <laughs> And so he run, he had put down the camera and he runs to get the camera so he can record this. But while his back is turned, of course, the TARDIS disappears. And then the Dalek machine appears and the Daleks come out and the Alabama guy's like, wow, you know, you guys are part of the film too, right? <laughs> and the Daleks want to know where the TARDIS crew went. And he, the Alabama guy's having a lot of fun. <laughs> this is funny. He leans down and talks into the plunger and says, they just left. <laughs> and he goes for, to get his camera once again. But of course the Dalek machine disappears before he can <laughs> take a picture of it. <laughs> and I like this part. The tourist group comes back and he's going on about all this stuff. <laughs> they decide that he's insane. So the tour guide goes off to get the authorities to take him away. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the guy never knows that he came face to face with one of the most coldly murderous beings yeah, in the it galaxy. Is a little confusing <laughs> why they didn't bother to shoot him. I guess they just didn't have time or something. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just not worth the energy. <laughs> but it is notwithstanding the uh questionable Alabama accent, uh it's a fun scene. I got a kick out yeah. of it actually. I'm going to give you a little hint here. Just remember that Alabama guy and let's see, uh, for, oh. uh in the future, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, um, okay. so we're back in the TARDIS and now the computer walls are behind them again, not the round holes. So again, I think they have, I think you're right. I think hmm. they have like two different TARDIS sets for some reason in this show. And okay. you know, they move back and forth between them and the doctor is hmm. working on a machine that's supposed to fight the Daleks. We have no idea what it is. And. Then to the doctor's surprise, the TARDIS is landing again, but he's not ready. 
And he says they're going to need to land to take off quickly because he's not ready to, you know, to deal with the Daleks. And we see an old style ship on the seas, you know, with the flags and everything or, um, with the, um, sailing ship. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we see an old style sailing ship on the seas. It's in the fog and we're now watching the crew on this ship and they're concerned that they're late. A couple officers are talking and one of them then writes the current weather situation on a chalkboard. And the crew leaves kind of this area of the ship and then the TARDIS appears and Barbara and Ian get out and Barbara is fascinated. She loves sailing ships and she wanders off and a crew member captures her and assumes she's a stowaway. And then Vicky comes out and sees that this crew member is, you know, harassing Barbara and she finds this nearby wooden baton. I don't know why a baton would just be sitting there or whatever. She then manages to get on a ledge above the crew member and she conks him on the head and knocks him out. And then Ian comes out of the TARDIS and approaches Barbara and v Vicky doesn't realize who it is. So she conks him on the head as well and knocks him and, out. <laughs> and so this, I mean, you know, for the, for the concussion count, uh, this is two solid hits on the head that Ian's gotten just in the first half of this story arc, you know, not including all the other episodes of the series. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it, it's a miracle he can still speak English. <laughs> And so they get back into the TARDIS and it departs. So they were here for all of 30 seconds. And the crew member who was knocked out, he kind of sees the TARDIS disappearing as, you know, blearily as he comes to. And he reports a stowaway to the captain who raises an alert. And they divide into search parties to find the stowaways. While they're doing that, the Dalek ship shows up. Dalek comes out, wants to know again where the time travelers are. <laughs> the crew freaks out and starts diving overboard. They keep yelling the white something, and there must be some mythological. Uh, yeah, the 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 white terror of the Barbary Coast, or something mm. like that. I think so. Yeah, I didn't look it up, so I'm sure that was a reference to something. Yeah, probably some legend, but but, but the Barbary Coast, I think, is where uh, there were a lot of pirates out there at one time. Mm -hmm. you know, they were a danger to uh, honest ships, but. So the Daleks search the ship for the TARDIS, and they find a crew member <laughs> who also jumps overboard. And then a Dalek goes after him and falls into the water and kind of yeah. humorously falls apart as it's falling into the water, which is a little production issue. <laughs> and this, this is, this is a pretty amusing, at least to me, maybe it just struck me funny, but, uh, you know, you've got the Daleks roaming about the deck of the ship here and they're. They're chasing after these guys, just trying to ask them questions. They're not even actually trying to <laughs> kill them, but the guys right. are just running all over the place. And then there's one moment where on one of the, I don't know if it's the fore or the aft deck that's raised above the central deck, somehow one of the Daleks has gotten up there at the top of a flight <laughs> of stairs. I, I don't know how it climbed up there, but it got up there somehow, so it's. Well, yeah, Daleks and Stairs is a whole long thing in fandom in the show, as we'll see. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> and there's a whole uh, a long-term meme that all you have to do to defeat a Dalek is run up some stairs, but then <laughs> <laughs> they try to address it. You'll see over time how this develops. Uh, okay. So the Daleks then leave. You know, the ship has basically been abandoned by the crew. We've all jumped overboard. The Daleks leave, and we get a close-up on a plaque on the ship that says, Mary Celeste. So especially since we have kind of U.S.-centered listeners, a little bit of a dive into the Mary Celeste. So this is a true story of a ship that was found in the middle of the sea abandoned. And 
Nobody could figure out a reason for it to be abandoned. And, you know, nothing on the ship showed any uh, hurriedness or anything. You know, there was this food being prepared and this and that, and, and everything seemed to be pretty neat, but everyone was just gone. And this, of course, has become very famous and led to all sorts of speculations about what happened and conspiracy theories and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, enhanced by the fact that the person who took control of the ship after, or took ownership of the ship after it was found later sank it in a fraudulent, uh, insurance scam, <laughs> got mm. prosecuted for that. And in the little bit of reading I did, I, I, you know, I have not done a true deep dive under this, so we'll call it a shallow dive, but the little bit of reading, you know, in Wikipedia and all that, that I did. It looks like people have figured out the most realistic possibility seems to be the deal was the ship was the, the cargo of the ship was denatured alcohol and people have done experiments that showed that if fumes from the alcohol accumulated and if something set them on fire, there would be an explosion that would burst up through the portal on the deck and which oh. was found to be out of place and be a huge explosion with lots of sound and lots of fire. But the interesting thing about this, this particular, you know, kind of alcohol and the way it would burn off is that there would actually be no evidence that this occurred that because there would be cold air behind it. And so you, it wouldn't actually burn the wood or anything, right? It would just, hmm. it, it would just explode and cause all this sound and fire, but it wouldn't actually burn anything. So you wouldn't so the, have broken bottles and stuff like that. Yeah. So the theory is that this happened, this explosion occurred, it freaked out the crew. One lifeboat was found to have, have been taken. And interestingly, the rope holding the lifeboat was cut, not untied. So they were in a hurry when it happened. And so the theory is, you know, the crew got on this lifeboat because they assumed the whole ship was going to go up and something happened to the lifeboat and they never got back to the ship. Mm. And then when the ship was found, it was, you know, in that state. So that's the theory. <laughs> so that's mm. the, uh, possible story of the Mary Celeste, but now we know right. it was actually the Daleks. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked it up too, just, you know, like you just, just briefly, um, and one other theory that sounded interesting to me was that uh, because the, some of the sails seemed in poor shape, it could have potentially been a water spout that scared people off the boat, you know, like a mini mm -hmm. tornado at sea. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. But I didn't, I didn't see the denatured alcohol or the, uh, the explosion one, so that's, uh, that's neat. Yeah, and I learned from this there are things called sea quakes, so I need to learn, look into that more. So everybody's got hmm. their little theory about, about what happened. I like the alcohol one so far, but yeah. I also like the Dalek one. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. So we're back in the TARDIS and in case you missed the close up of the plaque saying Mary Celeste, Ian says he saw what ship they were on the Mary Celeste after which Barbara comes up to the camera and close up and says Mary Celeste. And I'm like, okay, I think we got it now. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Barbara being a history teacher, she probably knows the significance of that. Yeah. Name, I would assume. Oh, I think they all would. It was very famous, yeah. especially in, in England. So the doctor informs them that the 12 minute lead is now down to eight. You know, the Daleks will be eight minutes behind them. And I realized at this point, this is the same concept that was used decades later in the modern Battlestar Galactica, 
an amazing episode. I think it was the first episode of the official series called 33. Mm. And in this, every 30, they're going, you know, through space and they're doing hyperspace jumps. And every 33 minutes, the Cylons show up again. And mm. it's a great episode because literally they're going weeks and weeks and people aren't, can't sleep, et cetera, because every 33 minutes they got to jump again because the Cylons show up. And I realized, so who knows if that was informed by this story, but once again, Doctor Who leads the way. <laughs> and the doctor says, we must face the facts. The Daleks are closing in on us. And we get a little bit of, more of TARDIS going through space and end of the episode. I'm going to say, uh, unusually not very climactic ending. I mean, it's not like they did a close up on his face where he says the Daleks are closing in on us or anything. It was just kind of, he says that, and then we get, you know, these shots of the TARDIS flying and then it's the end of the episode. So not quite the cliffhanger yeah. we're, we're used to. Yeah. And also, I mean, if you look at the amount of time the Daleks spent chasing everybody around the ship, You'd think you'd think that doctor the doctor might have gained a minute or two. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but oh well. Yep. <laughs> okay, well so so well, let's do a midway check in. What's what's your feeling so far? Uh, there is uh, one we haven't talked about too much that I think is where he's repeating himself a little bit, at least in story structure. Do you know which one I'd be referring to? Repeating himself in story structure. Well, it did occur to me that now he wrote the keys of Marinus. Yeah, yep, exactly. Uh, it, it it occurred to me that the the set or you know the setting changes, like you know not mm -hmm. staying in the desert but going off to yep. these multiple locations that are going to cause the prop guys to be tearing their hair out. Yep, yeah, it's the worst <laughs> thing for Doctor Who because it means you're going to have the worst sets and special effects because you have no money to do 10 different locations. Yep, <laughs> nope, exactly. This is Keys of Marinus all over again. <laughs> so after the first three episodes, it got off to a slow start, but I'll tell you the third episode, I really got a kick out of that. The New York City stuff and the, <laughs> the Mary Celeste, I, that was fun. I, I really I enjoyed that. And the, the first two episodes, you know, they're, you know, yeah, okay. The only thing I would argue is, <laughs> I mean, aside from the fishmen and dealing with that and everything, is that really it's, it's the first two episodes are really one episode, right? You know, having made the mm -hmm. notes and covered the first, nothing happens in the first episode. I mean, nothing happens, <laughs> you know, so they really didn't yeah. need two episodes for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. That could have been trimmed down. And, and there is, I mean, it really makes you wonder if these guys, if these fishmen were, you know, evolved to live underwater, they seem awful cavalier about parading around in the desert. Yep. So, <laughs> I don't know. Aside from that, though, yeah, it's 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 fun so far. I'm enjoying it. We'll see what uh, the next three episodes. Who knows what'll happen? But uh, if it turns out to be a letdown, it uh, it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. <laughs> but but uh, well, here's my but prediction. It, <laughs> uh, okay. There will be some letdowns, but there'll also be some interesting surprises. So we'll see what I mean by that. So. <laughs> Next episode, Journey into Terror. And we revisit the ending of the last one and are reminded that their 12-minute lead on the Daleks is shrinking. And the doctor says, we must face the facts. The Daleks are closing in on us. And we transition to an image of a wall with a giant gargoyle-like face and a mouth that appears to be an entrance or something. And the TARDIS appears amidst some statues holding smoking bowls above their heads. So it's a 
you know, it's like we're back to the Aztecs or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. I think maybe that wall was a fireplace, but I'm not 100% Yeah, it's something sure. like that. They get out, and Ian points out it's an ideal place to fight the Daleks. Good stout walls and stairs, and Daleks don't like stairs. <laughs> Part of that ongoing Dalek problem. And then some bats fly down and scare Barbara. And Vicky says they're probably vampires. So it's a very odd yeah. setting. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, the first sign of the bat flying down, I uh, started to develop my theory about what this place was. <laughs> but uh, they take a little longer. <laughs> right. So Barbara and Vicky immediately want to leave. They don't like being around bats. And the doctor points out they're going to need to deal with the Daleks and they should look around. And in spite of some weird lighting effects, the doctor and Ian head up the stairs. Well, Barbara and Vicky stay behind. And Barbara and Vicky check out that mouth I was talking about. It is a fireplace. And the wall's eyes start to glow. And then they find a coffin-like thing and they open it, because that's what you do when you find a coffin-like thing. And again, that's a call back to the Aztecs, right? <laughs> uh, you know, somebody could have some jewelry in there. Yep. But it's empty. And then a skeleton falls down onto them. So <laughs> if you hadn't been starting to figure it out, maybe <laughs> maybe it's beginning to add up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the skeleton uh, really sealed the deal for me. Although uh, the rest of the... You know, the crew, they don't seem to have any idea. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm not sure they ever figure it out, even though we get shown at the end. But, yeah, you know, um, I don't rec- I don't recall them ever really figuring out the answer. But, yeah. The doctor does come up with an interesting theory very soon, though, but it's completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> now we're with the doctor and Ian, and Ian sees a ghostly apparition in front of him. <laughs> And then nothing happens with that, and the doctor finds a laboratory and insists on exploring it. And I'm back to the Keys of Marinus, which was also a Terry Nation story, of course, where they had the lab. Or that actually was the fake lab, right, where they were mentally projecting a lab into his brain, and he was all excited about it. Oh, yeah, that was going to be like the special gift for him. He could work to yeah. his heart's content, and yeah. <laughs> and in reality, it had this, like, cruddy little cup that he thought was a, a great uh, Yeah, this dirty coffee tube. mug <laughs> yeah. sitting on a table. <laughs> so a Frankenstein's monster-like figure sits up from a slab in the lab. Now, now I think the entire audience must have figured it out by now. <laughs> and suddenly... You would think so. The um, the doctor runs off and leaves Ian to fend for himself. <laughs> he has a very elaborate theory that somehow the TARDIS has placed them in a human mind or some sort of idealistic <laughs> construct of human fears that have become their own dimension. Or you know, he's he he sort of suggests different ways it might be implemented, but they they <laughs> they figure well. If we're if we're in this realm of the imagination, then probably the Daleks can't follow us here. All I can say about that is that, considering I I figured it out about two minutes in, uh, I don't think the Doctor's theory is is conforming to Occam's razor <laughs> here. He is not getting the simplest explanation. But spoiler alert: uh, there will be at least one, probably more than one story far, far in the future that does take him up on that. So. Oh, all right. So we're back to Barbara and Vicky bantering and a vampire figure shows up behind them. <laughs> and then just to close the deal says, good evening. I am Count Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> then he disappears back into an entryway. 
I don't think he even bothers doing the uh, doing the Transylvanian accent. I think it's just like an ordinary British accent. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's a very low effort count record. Good evening. Good evening. Who are you? I am Count Dracula. Barbara tries to open the door he went into. Now, I'm not sure why you would follow a vampire, but okay. And while her back is turned, Vicky disappears. And then a woman at the top of some stairs screams, and Barbara falls back into a secret entrance in the wall because it's a Terranation story, <laughs> so she has to fall into a secret entrance in the wall. <laughs> yeah, now we just need somebody to get a concussion. That'll be perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're back to Dr. And Ian, who discuss here that everything seems strangely familiar. And they go back downstairs and find that the women are gone. And then we see that the Daleks are watching things in their hypno wall view screen. You know, it's sort of <laughs> rotating around the edges while they're looking at the screen. I would find that whole rotating hypno thing while I'm trying to watch TV to be very distracting. <laughs> <laughs> and they say that the crew is on Earth, so that's another clue as to what's happening. And we go back to the Doctor and Ian, and they go down to where that monster, that Frankenstein's, Monster is on the slab. And I will note that I'm being careful to say Frankenstein's monster and not Frankenstein because I'm a <laughs> geek and I understand the difference. All right. Well, well, don't, uh, <laughs> you know, don't, uh, uh, discommode yourself on my account. I can, you know, either one is fine with me. And a Dalek appears in a corridor looking for the time travelers and Ian shuts some kind of gate in front of it. And the doctor and Ian run up the stairs and the Dalek tends to attempts to exterminate the Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> it's perhaps worth mentioning here that, um, the Frankenstein's monster seems to have a little bit of autonomy or maybe a lot of autonomy. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not your standard animatronic thing that we're used to, but mm-hmm. we will get a put possible explanation for that in a little bit here. So the doctor and Ian reunite with Barbara and Vicky. And a Dalek shows up with Dracula <laughs> and Vicky tries to warn Dracula that he'll be killed. And he does get the death ray and he says haltingly while he's being exterminated, I am Count Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and more Daleks show up and trap Vicky while the TARDIS takes off with the others in it. So they just coldly left her behind. And then other monsters, you know, of the Dracula and Frankenstein type show up and fight the Daleks. And one of the Daleks is destroyed, and the others escape back into their time machine. <laughs> and now um, we discover what the crew never does. <laughs> and this is actually very similar to previous episode where they did the um, pan over to the sign of the Mary Celeste. Mm-hmm. We get a pan over to see signs pasted over a ticket booth. The Festival of Ghana, 1996, canceled by Peking. <laughs> Frankenstein's House of Horrors, price $10. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff uh, packed into there. Yeah, it's an interesting sign, both because what the what would Peking have to do with Ghana? But you know, they're putting <laughs> putting it thirty years in the future from when the show is broadcast, and then also it would suggest a possible explanation for why Frankenstein's monster has such autonomy, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, thirty years in the future, maybe the uh, carnival attractions actually can attack the customers. <laughs> Right, and then mm-hmm. then we transition to Westworld. And, uh, <laughs> 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 
So the doctor in the TARDIS is working on a machine to defeat the Daleks. And meanwhile, Barbara asks where Vicky is and nobody knows. <laughs> I guess they just weren't too concerned <laughs> about her. And we're back to the Dalek ship and they're tracking the TARDIS, which is approaching the planet Mechanus. As we'll discover, that is a classic Terry Nation planet name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. The Daleks talk about the fact that they have a reproduction of the Doctor in progress. So they have this whole plan to do some kind of clone of him. And it turns out Vicky is hidden on the Dalek ship. And she fruitlessly tries to communicate with the TARDIS through the Dalek controls. And then she sees the Doctor on the Dalek ship. Now you'd think it'd be difficult to communicate by radio when you're actually traveling through time. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's some... Some well, she doesn't succeed, or... so he even knows if it's possible. Well, yeah. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say she sees the doctor, of course, she's, she sees the clone of the doctor. <laughs> oh, yeah. But she she has all that futuristic knowledge from yeah, her yeah. Uh, high-tech education and all that. So That's true. So she probably probably has some knowledge about being able to use the radio in some way. But anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> so to be fair to the crew, the doctor back on the TARDIS is now blaming himself for leaving Vicky behind. And they argue about what they can do. And the re doctor reminds them the TARDIS can't land in the same time and location a second time, which I think is kind of a new rule, but okay. <laughs> so it's more okay. like he doesn't actually have any ability to control it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think they've explicitly mentioned this, but of course it does make sense because if you go to the exact same time and location, yeah. you're going to uh, occupy the same space and you're going to have one of those, uh, the fly situations. Yeah, that or a nuclear yeah. explosion, but the fly is more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Ian points out they could use the Dalek time machine to go mm -hmm. back and get her. Uh, apparently it doesn't have the same problem. I don't know. They just need to capture it. So they all agree they should capture the Dalek time machine. Hmm. And this is a slight foreshadowing of things to come. The doctor says the next landing shall be their battleground where they shall fight to the death. <laughs> We're back on the Dalek ship and they're happy that the doctor clone is ready. So they activate it and Vicky sees someone who's not quite the doctor. It's actually, you know, they didn't do too bad. I mean, I mean, on a 12 inch TV screen, maybe you couldn't really tell mm. the, you know, the stand in actor. Yeah. But, but, uh, for, for what we're watching on, I'm watching on a, what, 32 inch monitor. And it's uh, <laughs> very obvious that it is not, uh, William Hartnell. <laughs> yeah. The TARDIS lands and they're in a swampy landscape, which they say will be hard for the Daleks and back on the Dalek ship. You know, the clone's already, we see the not-quite-doctor talking to them. Then we get an insert shot of Hartnell saying, I will infiltrate and kill, as they commanded him to infiltrate and kill. One of the things we see, <laughs> I mentioned this when we first, in the last um, episode of the podcast, is that they keep trying to find different words, and eventually, later on, they just settle that Daleks exterminate, right? They, that's all they do is exterminate. <laughs> <laughs> Through this whole story, they talk about infiltrating and killing and annihilating. You know, they just keep searching. Oh, for... yeah. <laughs> In the next episode, they have one phrase that I found particularly uh, charming, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that. Right. <laughs> so when we see Hartnell say he's going to infiltrate and kill, then it's the end of the episode. <laughs> And next one up that you're going to do is the death of Doctor Who, which I guess means it's going to be the end of the series. 
And also an indicator that Terry Nation really didn't understand the show because he called it the death of Dr. Who. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to say that that's, uh, that's canon. His, his name is Dr. Who. We're going with that from now on. I'm not going to bother correcting myself anymore when I say Dr. Who instead of the doctor. <laughs> so the episode starts off with a brief recap, uh, with that, uh, the doctor's imitator, uh, who really, he, there's something that that's detectable, even if he's in a long shot, he's like maybe a little too tall and thin yeah. or something. I don't know. Maybe Definitely the hair tall, is yeah. a little wrong. And also he's lip syncing Will Hartnell's voice and he's not getting it quite right, which probably isn't the actor's fault. But yeah, it's not, not the best. <laughs> so we get that recap and then we see the real doctor and the crew in a forest of giant mushrooms. Mm -hmm. They're intended to be scary looking and they're, they're okay. But for some reason, they remind me of HR Puffin stuff. If you remember that show, that was a. <laughs> there was a, a Sid and Marty Croft show from the 1970s and it had a lot of, uh, a lot of people in foam rubber outfits. <laughs> that's, that's what this makes me think of. Something tells me I'll be pulling an audio clip here. <laughs> HR Pop and Step. Who's your friend when things get rough? HR Pop and Step. Can't do a little because you can't do enough. So the crew, uh, they decide they're going to try to avoid these mushrooms because uh, they the mushrooms seem a little hostile and mobile. And we uh, say mushrooms, we should say these are like tree size mushrooms. So, yeah, and they're, they're walking around, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a guy in a costume sized mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, well, I was kinder. I was thinking of it as sort of Lord of the Rings, you know, <laughs> living trees, but okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the crew is going to try and avoid these things and return to the ship, but when they turn away to do so, they see that some other mushrooms have moved in. Um, but fortunately, these mushrooms seem pretty weak. Uh, it seems like one good smack will uh, at least stun them. <laughs> Probably because the person inside them can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So while the mushrooms are temporarily subdued, we get a quick glimpse of a foggy path leading on into the forest. And then some lights come on, some overhead lights. They're in, uh, they're in some kind of chamber. This jungle, this whole jungle is in a chamber, or perhaps it just has, it's not clear if, if they're supposed to be just like maybe big, tall street lights or what, but whatever mm -hmm. it is, there's artificial lights somewhere above. And when those lights come on, the mushrooms recoil. And the doctor surmises, uh, this could be the work of intelligent creatures, which, uh, seems likely. And Ian notices that the, the lights form a path. So, uh, the doctor and Ian and Barbara all start to follow it. And um, again, uh, now as someone, uh, while I'm playing this Lord of the Rings online game and everything, there's yeah. a whole thing in there about that forest of trees where when they get pissed off at Frodo and company, they open certain paths to them and close off other paths. So again, Ooh. I'm having flashbacks here to, uh, to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Another part of the forest, meanwhile, we see that the Daleks have arrived. 
One of them is giving orders. All the life forms here are to be treated as hostile and destroyed on contact. Seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the Daleks, the Daleks say that a lot, but they always seem to have this fatal hesitation. You know, they really <laughs> need to work on that. Yeah, they, they would do a lot better at taking over the universe if they just followed their rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, destroyed on contact means destroy on contact, not a minute later. <laughs> so the fake doctor robot, who's using Hartnell's voice, he heads off into the jungle, uh, and a couple of the Daleks follow him as a sort of escort. And then we see Vicky sneaking out of the Dalek time machine. Meanwhile, the doctor and Ian and Barbara are following this lighted path they pass by a spot along the path, and after they've gone by, the fake doctor steps out from behind one of the trees. And there are <laughs> there are both the mushrooms that we've mentioned and just more regular-looking trees. They're still kind of alien-looking, but mm. more, more tree-like. And then uh, in another part of the jungle or forest, whatever it is, uh, we see Vicky. She's sneaking from mushroom to mushroom. As the Dalek patrols go by, and a mushroom attacks her because she's trying to hide behind the mushrooms. Yeah, I don't think she realized they were alive. <laughs> yeah, but before we find out what befalls her, if we go back to the doctor and his group. They've reached the end of the lighted path, and they're in a small, empty, cave-like room. It's, uh, it's not super small. It's about... I don't know, 24 by 24 or something like that. It's a moderately sized room. Ian sets down this box he's been carrying, and the doctor tells him to be careful. It's not it's not sure, or at least I wasn't sure at this point in the show, what this box actually is. It looks like something you'd pull out of a server rack. Right. Well, yeah, when he first introduced it, the doctor said it was going to fight the Daleks, and then they carried around for a long, long time without it ever actually coming into play. Whatever it is, it's apparently a bit volatile because the doctor tells him to be careful. In this cave, Barbara finds a staff lying on the ground. It, uh, some, it appears to be something like a staff. A walking yeah, it looks like stick, a mace whatever. to me. Like, yeah, a walking stick or a mace, you know, kind of a small mace thing at the end. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's probably a yard long, maybe a little less, and the doctor figures it's some kind of weapon. He fiddles with it for a moment, and he manages to get the tip of it to light up. He speculates that the light at the tip is for scaring the mushrooms away. We haven't seen that the that the staff is able to actually shoot things, anything like that, but, uh, but it does at least get a mild <laughs> point of light at the end of the tip, so that's <laughs> something. So Ian and Barbara, that, they seem very gung-ho. They're all ready to... Fight the Daleks. They uh, they get in position at the entrance to the cave. They're ready to ambush the Daleks. Barbara is actually making gun-firing noises. You know, well, actually, you're being more dramatic. She was going like pew, 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 and I'm like, she just turned five for some reason. You know, they have Daleks coming after them. They're in this, you know, mushrooms trying to kill them, and she's like pew, pew, pew. I'm like, really, what is this about? <laughs> 
She's ready to use these staffs with the little light on the end. And, <laughs> and we Ian say looks... little light. It is a little light. I mean, this is like oh, yeah. one of those little night lights you would plug into your outlet, right? This isn't like, you know, this isn't like some staff that Gandalf would have going back to Lord of the Rings, right? Oh, yeah. It, it's it's like the last quarter inch of your pinky finger. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's nothing, nothing too uh, overpowering, at least you wouldn't think. So she's got her staff ready, and Ian looks eager to use his whatever the box is that he's carrying and around. When we find out in the next episode what that box does, what he's doing here makes no sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to to spoil things for our, our listeners, that box is a bomb, right? So, yeah. so yeah, it's not going to work for him. To, anyway. <laughs> And the doctor does bring up that very point at this point, because uh, he says the machine can't be used in an enclosed area. All right. Okay. Um, well, good for so, him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he averts a potential disaster there. Ian proposes turning out the lights. The doctor agrees that uh, that's a good idea. Then he starts looking for wherever the power cable is that'll control the lights. <laughs> So now we get to see uh, what happened to Vicky when the mushroom attacked. Apparently not much, because she has escaped the mushroom, and she's knocking on the door of the TARDIS, hoping that the, her friends are inside. And while she's knocking, another mushroom attacks her. And the mushroom, it's not exactly a terrifying attack. I mean, it wouldn't be pleasant if you were in the midst of it, but the mushrooms really don't seem to have their hearts in the people eating. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think they're getting paid by the hour, probably. Yeah, the way they attack you is they take the their cap, right, and try to enclose it around you, so presumably they're going to eat you <laughs> or poison you or something. I'm not sure we ever see them successfully get anybody. I'm not sure how these mushroom trees have survived since they don't seem to be very <laughs> effective. Yeah, I uh, I don't recall seeing them actually do any lasting damage. Now, at, in the, at the, towards the very end of the next episode, we'll see somebody get into a little tussle with them, but it looks like he escapes, but we don't quite find out, I don't mm. think, what happens to him. But I, I have my theory about that, too, but we'll get there in a timely manner. Vicky walks away from this mushroom that attacked her, and, and, and she walks away from it. She doesn't flee. <laughs> she walks away in no particular hurry. And then we cut back to Ian in the little cave. He's struggling with some heavy blanket of lichen or something like that that seems to be covering <laughs> the power cable. And then Vicky runs into another mushroom, and it, it pops up ready for action, such as it is. And the, even though it isn't really much of a threat, apparently uh, you know, Vicky still screams in frustration. And back in the cave, Barbara recognizes that scream as Vicky's. So the doctor and Ian go to investigate, and they give Barbara instructions to watch the machine. They don't, uh, you know, have rock, paper, scissors or anything. They just, <laughs> they decide what the away team is going to be, and they go do it. As the two men leave the cave, we see the fake doctor sneak out of hiding once again. I say it's one of those overplanned things. Like the Daleks had to put a lot of effort into creating a fake doctor, <laughs> oh, yeah. as opposed to just going in and shooting everybody. I don't know, <laughs> 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 or, 
or even having the fake doctor be a bomb or something so that when he gets in there, he just lets himself off. Right. But no. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that would have actually probably made a lot of, a lot of sense as if, uh, oh, he did, as soon as he gets the whole, all three of the crew members around him, you know, just blow up. That solves that yep. problem real easy. <laughs> nope. I guess Dalek lines don't work that way. <laughs> so next the Daleks note, the, uh, the lights have gone out. Apparently, apparently something that the doctor and Ian did put the lights out. And their perceptors are noticing movement to the east. And suddenly, a mushroom attacks a Dalek. They must just be sensitive to movement because you, you wouldn't think they'd want to eat metal. Yeah. But uh, it attacks, and it turns out that these big mushrooms are no match for the Dalek neutralizer rays. But... Uh, the Dalek who is attacked, he still nervously asks, have I sustained damage? <laughs> Which, I mean, you would think he would know, but also it's a little bit like, oh, is my hair look okay? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I thought. <laughs> but his buddy tells him, no, we're going to keep on moving. The doctor and Ian find Vicky lying unconscious, and it seems that she's about to be improperly touched by a giant mushroom. Uh, but now that there are actual non-unconscious people here, uh, the giant mushroom's out of luck because these guys can't stand up to anything. <laughs> so if she's safe. Ian realizes she must have gotten aboard the Daleks' time machine, so the fact that she's here also means the Daleks are here. Back in the cave where Barbara is, the fake doctor enters the cave. Barbara asks, where's Ian? And he says, Barbara, my dear, Chesterton is dead. And he says <laughs> it with the, about the amount of emotion that you would expect a robot to have. Although, <laughs> at least he he doesn't have a, his intonation isn't completely flat. It's It's not like, you know, the Dalek monotone, but it's just. He doesn't seem terribly perturbed about it. <laughs> so Barbara, Barbara asks whether Ian might just be hurt. And the fake doctor says, perhaps you can help. Come along, come along. Um, <laughs> Again, he, they're and, alone. He could just kill her right now, but, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what the plan here was. <laughs> some Planning some kind of master stroke that never develops, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I so Ian's carrying Vicky back to the cave. The doctor and Ian and Vicky, they all get back there, but Barbara isn't there. When the doctor revives Vicky, she pushes him away, and then she starts whimpering, and then she dodges around him to join Ian. Then we have probably a good half a minute of cryptic talk where uh, <laughs> Vicky just sort of, you know, talks around the main fact that is there's a robot doctor on the loose. <laughs> Finally, she gets to that. The doctor and Ian realize Barbara wouldn't have left the cave unless one of them said to so they run to find her barbara out in the jungle with the the fake doctor uh when she hears ian calling she responds and the fake doctor smacks her in the gut with his cane and then ian rushes to stop him and ian gets an elbow in the gut yeah he's a you know and then, for being a robot he's a pretty uh you know ambidextrous or something <laughs> Pretty, yeah. pretty agile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, he could do a few things, but you'd think that now that he's got these two disabled, it would be a good time to slip their throats or something. Mm. And, uh, nope, the robot's going to run off. He'll <laughs> see him later. <laughs> so Ian fills Barbara in on the whole robot subterfuge, and she's up to speed now. So they return to the cave, and we see that there are the two doctors in there accusing each other. That's apparently where that robot ran to. The real doctor makes some smart remarks, which is not the right thing to do because Ian starts attacking him, thinking he's the <laughs> fake doctor. Uh, the fake doctor suggests destroying the real doctor with a rock. He tells Vicky to look away. He says it'll be nasty. And Ian lifts up a big rock, and he's ready to he's ready to crush the doctor. But Barbara stops him. She says, that's not the fake doctor. That's the real doctor. And it's not clear how she knew. Maybe it was just that. I mean, I was thinking maybe it was because the doctor said to destroy the other guy with a rock. But if it was a robot, then you wouldn't think that would be against the doctor's moral code of trying not to kill people. So I'm not sure how she knows. Maybe it was just intuition. Yeah, it know. wasn't clear to me either. I, there wasn't, you know. Yeah, he didn't say anything that was particularly revealing, so. Yeah. We just go with it. Right. <laughs> oh, sure. The real doctor and the fake doctor have a cane fight. It's like a sword fight, but with uh, much less blades involved. The real doctor imitates a Dalek voice, though, and apparently this works. <laughs> he says, stop, do not kill. <laughs> and uh, apparently this stumps the robot <laughs> long enough, at least, that the robot kind of freezes up. And the doctor rips some wires out of its chest. He sort of fumbles <laughs> around for a moment. Yeah. And finally, finally gets hold of the wires that have been planted there, and he rips them out of the robot's chest. And he makes a little, cute little aside after he's watching the robot lying inert on the floor. He says, hmm, I must get a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and he slappers her. <laughs> it was cute, though. Now I can't complain too much. So the Daleks have found the TARDIS, and they're probably attacked by another mm -hmm. mushroom. So if you if you have the feeling that they might be just putting some filler in here and there, <laughs> yeah. yes, I think you're right. Yeah, it, it's funny because the mushrooms play a huge part in all this, but they never actually impact anything. Right? I mean, if you <laughs> remove <laughs> them from the story, nothing would change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the Daleks mention that they've lost contact with the robot, and they're going to wait for daylight to uh, search the jungle because it's still still dark. Back in the cave, the crew's feeling discouraged. They decide they're going to rest and wait for daylight. The doctor says, I shan't sleep. And of course he does right away. <laughs> and Ian, who is the one remaining awake, he seems not to notice that a periscope has descended from the ceiling of the cave, then it's checking out the crew. Yeah. We never really find out what this comes to. I mean, you can kind of make assumptions, but yeah. 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 I, I would guess that it's one of these round guys we're about to meet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some time passes. The doctor wakes Ian and he points out something outside the cave that wasn't visible at night. It's a city, and the city is all up on long columns, uh, very long columns, way above the ground, and there's a long bridge uh. leading to it. 
and it's a uh, it's really a neat looking city. I think uh, it's it's a uh, it's it's pretty cute model. Uh, its material looks a little flimsy. It looks like it's made of paper or cardboard or something. But the design of it is is pretty slick. I really like it actually. Yeah, I agree. I think it looks interesting. It's just unfortunate that they couldn't make it actually look large in any way. It just looks like a small, you know, two foot model. Yeah, but for what it is, it's uh, it's pretty neat. I uh, I like it. <laughs> so now the Vicky and Barbara come up to the this window or entrance way, whatever it is they're looking out of. They all stare at it for a moment. But the Daleks are coming. They're apparently trying a flanking maneuver because they're coming from multiple directions. But they're not here yet, so there's time to debate about what strategy to use. <laughs> Vicky suggests climbing out. There's a cliff face nearby that they could try climbing up. Ian mentions the possibility that the doctor could buy them some time to climb the cliff face by impersonating the robot. Ian and Barbara start debating the merits of this plan because the Daleks may very well know that he, the robot's out of commission. And in fact, we, we heard that they do know uh, in their conversation. But while they're debating this, the doctor sp springs into action. He heads out to fool the Daleks. <laughs> but by revealing the plan in their discussion, they spoiled the plan. It's a Ron's Law in action again. <laughs> so the Daleks are out there planning a strategy. One group is going to enter the cave. One group is going to set up an ambush in case the humans try to escape. It's not bad. The, They're thinking, yeah. Oh, yeah. The head Dalek starts exhorting everyone with many, many commands, many rhetorical <laughs> devices. And he says, on my command, advance and attack. And then others say, align in advance. And then others say, attack and destroy. And the best of all, my favorite, and <laughs> since I like it, I'll probably never use it again. But the Daleks say, destroy and rejoice. <laughs> See, yeah, that gives me a whole different perspective on the Daleks. <laughs> They're just trying to eliminate the threat and go back to their peaceful, idyllic mm -hmm. lives. <laughs> so Barbara, Ian, and Vicky are all listening in the cave as the doctor tries to fool the Daleks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he uses the phrase like "I'm going to kill and annihilate," or I don't remember kill. I don't remember what it was exactly, but he uses that phrase we had earlier, which he would have had no reason yeah. to know about. <laughs> right, right. Infiltrate and kill. I think. Yeah, was, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then he goes on to say something like, "So uh, we can all go back to Scarrow now." <laughs> and they, they don't buy it. Well, as we've said before, to the Daleks' credit, they don't. They They don't tend to fall for this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's been the case uh, ever since the the first episode where they appeared. You know, they uh, they really figured out a lot of stuff that would have would have worked on dumber enemies. So. <laughs> Like mushroom yeah, trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the Daleks are maintaining some standards anyway, although this this probably is still in the past from that first episode where they appeared. I'm I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Yeah, we don't Whatever we don't try to make the timelines work with the Daleks. <laughs> that that way lies madness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> 
So they don't buy it. The doctor dashes back into the cave as the Daleks are firing their neutralizers at him, but he gets back in time. The doctor tells everyone to stand back. He's setting up this little machine that Ian had been carrying around. It looks like maybe he's thinking to blow a hole in the wall. But as he sets it down, the wall slides open, and there's something in there. It, uh, it looks like a geodesic sphere and made up of a bunch of triangles linked together, about the height of a man, maybe a little bit taller. <laughs> and it's got a little turret thing that pops out of the top. And it says in this robot voice, it, it, it's kind of interesting, an interesting voice, because it has a lot of, it's almost staccato, like, I, I don't know if I could even do it, but it's like, hey, 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 I can't do it. <laughs> you can put a sound clip in, though, and that'll be good <laughs> enough. And I'm going to say... You know, the Daleks, they process the voices or whatever, but these are so processed, they're really incomprehensible. But um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and say what he actually said. <laughs> yeah, well, what it actually says is 830 mechanoid English input, enter. So even, <laughs> even if you can hear it correctly, it might give you pause for thought. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the crew... Seems to have a general idea of what it means by enter, because uh, it's in a little room of its own next next to the cave. So the crew approaches it, and the episode ends. And I wanted to mention, <laughs> in the credits, the robot's name is Robot Doctor Who. And so there's conclusive proof, taken with the title of the episode, <laughs> The Death of Doctor Who, conclusive proof that the real doctor is also Doctor Who. <laughs> well, all I'm going to say is when the Doctor Who community cancels you, I'm going to be there supporting them all the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, our next one that I'm going to cover our next episode is The Planet of Decision. But I've got to say, you know, we've talked about these uh, really dramatic titles in most of the episodes. And this one we just did was The Death of Doctor Who, which did have the excuse, at least, that there is a Doctor Who who sort of died in it. I defy you to define the decision <laughs> that The Planet <laughs> of Decision refers to. Maybe I'm just missing it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I have to. Well, well, there is a decision. Uh, yeah, let's see when we get there. We don't, okay, we don't yeah, want to yeah, well, okay, I can't so think on, of one decision at any rate. Yeah, <laughs> on to the planet of decision. So, the planet of decision. So, they get in the elevator with this mechanoid. And the doctor tries to start a conversation while the elevator is going, but the mechanoid isn't interested in talking, which I can totally relate to. I don't want to get in an <laughs> elevator and have a conversation with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, the Daleks have lost track of the crew. So they use their perceptor DLE to do a seismic test and locate the elevator. So these perceptors are pretty flexible. And uh, they realize they need to penetrate the wall. So section four is sent back to the time machine to get the appropriate equipment. And when the elevator stops, the crew is amazed at how huge everything is. And this is one of those classic TV show things where we just see the crew 
looking at something that they're telling us is really big. <laughs> and then we see the <laughs> yeah. set and it's this tiny, you know, two foot model set. But again, you know, nothing wrong with it. Just, just doesn't really look big, but yeah. it really does look intriguing. I agree with you. Oh yeah. And then we see something that to me calls into question whoever designed this city, because this is a city for these mechanoids, presumably <laughs> these two mechanoids are in this hallway which only has room for one mechanoid and they're doing some kind of weird dance interaction and they keep emitting sounds and bumping into each other. And after about a minute, it turns out they're just trying to pass each other in the hallway. <laughs> like, wow. You know, first of all, it kind of felt for a bit like it was sort of alien porn, you know? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm like, well, you know, a lot of time must be wasted in the society with these guys trying to get each other, pass each other in the hallways. <laughs> and the mechanoid with the crew tells them in this impossible to understand guttural voice, enter, enter, zero, stop. And Barbara says, well, he must want us to go into this room over here. Okay. So they go into a room and the door closes behind them. And then the doctor notes that it's very disturbing that they've only seen robots, no humans. And then out of nowhere, a disheveled man jumps down some stairs. And he's really intense and really fascinated from them. He's like, yeah, are you real? Are you from earth? And he thinks maybe they're there to rescue him. Might be worth mentioning here that, uh, this set that they're in now, it looks like it's a bare room, but in the middle of it, there are all kinds of sort of roughly constructed stairs. It almost looks like the backstage of a theater production or something, <laughs> but they're mm. obviously not stairs that would be usable for the, uh, for the robots. Yeah, the um, robots, so, the mechanoids are probably two or three times as big as a Dalek. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, this is uh, not for them at all. Yeah, and it's going to come into play. Right. So it turns out this guy is Steven Taylor from Flight Red 50, and he wants to know who won the wars. <laughs> and he's been stuck here for two years. Uh, so he's some kind of space guy, spacefaring guy. And he was hoping they came to rescue him. And he explains that 50 years ago, Earth decided to colonize this place. And so they sent robots, presumably the mechanoids, to set everything up. But then Earth got involved in wars and forgot all about it. And he crashed here and got captured by the mechanoids. And then he introduces them to Hi-Fi, which is his little panda-like doll that's been his companion. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's clear. It seems logical that these mechanoids are the robots that were sent to set things up, but we don't, I don't think we find out anything about how they made the transition from worker robots to dominating robots. Right. Well, the doctor does say at some point that they would have been programmed to repair themselves, which is why they're still around. So presumably maybe they could have made some little adjustments. Now, here's a little yeah. question for you. Do you recognize Steven Taylor? Uh, I did not know. That is the New Yorker from the New York episode. The one oh, who had the hat. Or, <laughs> oh, okay. The guy, the guy with the actual, you know, with the New York accent, not the Alabama it, guy. No, the Alabama guy with the hat who was having, well, you know, thought it was all Alabama. a movie. That's him. Yep. Okay. Oh, so it's not the tour guide. Nope. Nope. It's, it's the, it's the So Alabama what happened guy. Okay. was yeah. they so enjoyed working with him. They thought he was a great guy and, and very Lambert. She did not meet him at that time, but when she saw the video of him, she was so impressed. She said, who is that guy? He's a great actor. We should keep him. And they had really enjoyed working with him. 
So <laughs> they hired him for this role. And we will see how it goes. But since you didn't recognize him, he did a good job. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. He, he was fun as the Alabama guy. I mean, yeah. uh, I won't say the Alabama accent was dead on, but uh, Yeah, but I wouldn't have fun. said he was the greatest actor in the world, but clearly everyone just enjoyed being around with him, so they, yeah. they decided to hire him again. There's a lot to be said for working with people that you like. Yeah, and he lets them know that the humans, uh, that they're now specimens in this mechanoid zoo. <laughs> so these little... Uh, slats that open and close whenever one of the mechanoids want to look at them. And this is uh, Shades of the Space Museum, right? Where they uh, almost I became just, specimens. Uh, I was yeah. just going <laughs> to say, yeah, they, uh, they just pulled that stunt a few episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, the Daleks have now brought in an electrode unit. So this is a Dalek, you know, with a different thing attached to his arm <laughs> to get into the elevator. And the electrode unit is this little like satellite dish with a fork in the middle that's sort of rotating around and whatever that thing is doing, it breaks them into the elevator and they declare that because the mechanoids have taken the humans, they've forced the Daleks to attack the mechanoids. Okay. I guess they had to come up a little excuse there and back to the crew. And Steven tells them that out of boredom, he built this wooden staircase, which is the whole wooden thing you were talking about up to the roof. Yeah. And they actually allow him to go up to the roof to exercise and get sun, but you can't escape from there because it's 1,500 feet up. But one of the benefits is there are no guards, so they're not watching the roof. So they all go up to check it out, and Ian practically walks off the edge because there's no, you know, there's no uh, regulations here about, you know, sort of like Star Wars about having, uh, you know, uh, safety uh, railings. Yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So he walks right over to the edge, and the doctor warns him, and he almost falls over. Yeah, yeah, you'd think it would be a it would be a hard thing to miss that you're right at that precipice. <laughs> I don't know. And then Ian comes across a bunch of rolled up electrical cable, and he realizes, hey, there's so much here, we could unroll it and climb down. And I'm just gonna say, fifteen hundred feet climbing down on a cable is an interesting thing. But okay, there's got to be some kind of a tensile strength issue coming into play there somewhere, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm no physicist, so I'll let it, I'll, I'll allow it. And while the crew debates whether this is doable, we see a Dalek confronting a mechanoid, demanding to know where the humans are, and he gets the helpful answer, zero. <laughs> and uh, the crew hears what's happening below, you know, between the Daleks and the mechanoids, and realize they've got to leave now. And the doctor does something to his anti-Dalek device to leave them something to remember us by before joining them up the stairs. And the Daleks get into the zoo room and they find the stairs. And of course, being Daleks at this point, they can't get up the stairs. So they order a unit to be dispatched to the roof. Meanwhile, the doctor's device goes off. And, you know, for all the hype and carrying it around forever, it just produces a little smoke and stuff. But it does <laughs> seem to impact one Dalek who spins around and says, I am exterminated. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh there was a surprisingly poignant moment, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Daleks had it coming, of course, but still uh, you know, it, it just <laughs> it was it was well done. <laughs> I mean, the the bomb was just a, basically a big smoke cloud. <laughs> but yeah. but uh the Dalek perishing uh, was it moved me. <laughs> it tugged at my heartstrings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
So Vicky up on the roof is freaked out by the heights and she collapses. And what's kind of almost disturbing is against her will, they blindfold her and wrap cable around mm -hmm. her and lower her down, you know, 1,500 feet. So, I mean, I guess they had to do it, but, you know, um, it's definitely disturbing. Meanwhile, oh. it, tur it turns out the doctor's device, you know, has done more. It's caused a fire and smoke is starting to come up. And uh, they're all involved in lowering Vicky down on this cable. And then when the fire and smoke come up, Stephen is suddenly concerned about his little doll. And so he just drops <laughs> the cable and Vicky like drops down and he runs to get his little doll companion. And now we get a fight, and I'm just going to tell you, this is I love this scene. <laughs> it is the most bizarre fight scene. So we have Daleks and mechanoids going at it, and it's all done like in Dutch angles, right? And there's just smoke, and they have overlapping images. And, you know, we're hearing these uh, little quips like the, to defy Daleks is death, and, and then incomprehensible <laughs> stuff from the mechanoids. And the mechanoids are shooting fire out of their arms, which I'm not sure how much that would do to a Dalek. And uh, the Daleks are destroying mechanoids with their guns, and it just becomes really intense. And also on top of this, they insert these, like, you know, 1960s Batman-style explosion graphics on top of everything. <laughs> so it's like a comic book. And this goes on for a few minutes, and I, I just love this whole thing. I, I, I really enjoy it. It was fun. Meanwhile, the crew has reached the ground, you know, climbed down 1,500 feet. Steven is not there because he went back to get his doll. So they head back to the TARDIS while the city collapses due to the fire that was created by the Doctor's device. We get lots of shots, epic shots of fire and smoke. I was wondering where they might have gotten some of these because they look like, you remember in the... Uh... Quatermass in the pit. Right. We had those shots of London burning that were actual shots of London burning, and I wouldn't be surprised if if these shots were some kind of huge fire that actually. Oh yeah, it's definitely stock footage from some huge fire event. Yep. Yeah. And then Vicky, Barbara, and the Doctor are standing next to the Daleks' time machine, and we hear from inside the machine, "You will be exterminated." And they all get scared until Ian comes out acting like a Dalek. And so, first of all, I'm not sure why they were scared since they knew Ian was in there. Second of all, I'm just not sure this was the time for this kind of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, um, I don't know, have you seen Zombieland? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Bill Murray plays a little joke like this in Zombieland, but I, I won't say any more because uh, it's all it's I'm going to say movie. is if it's you play this kind of out. joke and you get shot, you know, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty much my opinion too. <laughs> Which isn't to say that I'd always be smart enough not to do a joke like that, <laughs> but it would be my fault. <laughs> yep. Well, it's sort of like, have you ever heard, and I've heard this from, you know, police and stuff, which is, you know, we see in the movies all the time, the person who, you know, the guy is pointing the gun at them and he says, oh, you're a coward. You, you can't shoot me, you know, mm, go ahead, try yeah. and shoot me. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> what the cops will tell you is the last words many people ever say are go ahead and shoot me <laughs> because that's exactly <laughs> what the person does. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor is really impressed at the quality of the Dalek time machine. He goes on and on about it. And he says it followed them with great precision and accuracy. You could travel anywhere in it, you know, unlike a certain other time machine. And hmm, what could that mean? So let me ask you, what point in here did you figure out what was going to happen next? Hmm. 
I don't think it. I, I think it might have been right around where he says you could travel anywhere in it. But I, I had no idea what was what was coming up. So I, and I, I was very I was careful like, nah, not to tell you because I, I yeah. wanted you to to experience it. Right. So Vicky offers to give them a tour from her time on the ship, and the doctor excitedly follows her. Barbara stops and keeps Ian back and says, "You know, we could use this machine to get home." <laughs> And Ian hadn't thought about it at all, but then he realizes they might never get another chance. Yeah. So they go in and ask the doctor. And now we switch and we see Steven with his doll and he's making his way through the forest, getting harassed by useless mushroom trees, you know, who again, have never actually <laughs> apparently managed to eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> and he's yelling for the doctor. I think it's the last shot we see of Steven. I think so. I don't think we learn any more about his fate. And now we're back to the Dalek time machine, and the doctor is very upset, and he's yelling at them. And he says they'll end up as a couple of burnt cinders flying through space, and he calls them idiots. And this is a true callback to the very first episode, Ryan, where he mm -hmm. was talking about sort of human beings being idiots or whatever he said. And I think it's really fascinating here because this goes on for a while, and he's really angry. And it does mirror the first episode, except in the first episode, he truly was feeling these were, you know, idiots who, who weren't worthy of him. And now he's clearly having an emotional reaction to the fact that they want to leave him. Yeah. And, and legitimately concerned for their health too. That, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but I think the concern for their health is secondary to their trying to leave him. <laughs> yeah. Ian says he wants to sit in a pub and he wants to go to a park and watch cricket. And I'm thinking, boy, these are very British <laughs> desires. <laughs> uh, and he wants to belong somewhere instead of being in this aimless drifting in space. And that's a bit of a mistake because the doctor is offended by that, saying he's tried for two years to get them home. And then Ian goes after him for failing to get them home. And the doctor says, how dare you, sir? You both thrust yourself on me. So again, we're right back to that first episode right mm -hmm. and barbara calms him down by admitting that they did thrust themselves upon him but this will have probably been the most exciting part of her life and the doctor is still saying no i will not aid nabet's suicide and then vicky appeals to him and she says it's their choice that they want to take the risk and, and he assumes she wants to go with them but she says no she wants to stay with him and, you know, there's yes. a whole five to ten minute scene here I could just quote. I think it's really effective. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, that's pretty good. And actually, I, I think, um, when Vicky is telling him that she wants to stick around, I don't remember exactly what she says, but it's basically saying that she's having a good time and, you know, what else? Yeah, and that their time is so not forth. her time. Like, she and, doesn't have any, you know, she has no interest in 1960s London, right? Yeah. Um, so that actually is probably that little moment is probably as warm as I've felt toward Vicky so far mm. in the, in the show, which isn't to say that she's my favorite, but <laughs> you, know, she, you know, it's a, it's a good little humanizing moment for her, I guess. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, the doctor finally gives in and tells Barbara and Ian they have a 50, 50 chance. And he leads them in to show them what to do. Then he exits the time machine with Vicky. And the time machine disappears. And Vicky and the doctor walk off with the doctor's arm around her. 
So it's all very emotional. Next shot we see is Ian exiting a building near an underground station in London. And he sees a car and it has a 1965 sticker on the window. She says, oh, so we're two years out from when we left. And Ian says, oh, what's two years among friends? (laughs) (laughs) And this building that they exit, it, it may have just been my own mind imposing order on the scene, but it kind of reminded me of the building, that warehouse they went into when they first found the TARDIS in there, hmm. you know, on the very, uh, uh, the pilot episode. Well, that was a junkyard. Um, it wasn't really a warehouse, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it was structured as like a building that they went into. Hmm. I mean, you know, it was, it, it was a junkyard and yet it had the feeling of being inside a warehouse, like, hmm. I don't know. Okay. Maybe that, uh, maybe that was just my perceiving the set around it. <laughs> mm. So Ian goes in and sets the time machine to blow up since obviously they don't want to stray time machine around. And we now get something really interesting. It's a sequence of still shots of Barbara and Ian traveling all around London and checking out the sites. And <laughs> they get a shock when they see a police box and then it turns out to be a normal police box. So they have fun with that. <laughs> and. By the way, this was all shot by the next director. This is essentially second unit, you know, so while the episode was being done, the next director went out with them and, and shot these. Then we go back to live action and they're on a bus and they're talking about how to explain their absence to the school they work for. And then the bus conductor comes along and asks for their tickets. And Ian says, oh, I assume it's two threes right next. I assume he means two tickets of three pence. And oh, the- it could be. Bus conductor looks at them and says, you must be joking. Where have you been on the moon? <laughs> and they <laughs> both crack up. <laughs> and also I, no, no, I think probably your analysis is right where, you know, it's going to be two tickets, and three pence each, but I did a little looking and apparently in some cases people will say two threes as a, an alternate way of saying six, like, uh, hey. You know, uh, four score instead of 80 or something like that. But <laughs> I don't think that, yeah, I, I think maybe your explanation is probably the correct one. Well, we'll never know being ignorant Americans. <laughs> and it turns out, uh, as they're laughing on, on the bus, um, Dr. and Vicky are watching all this on the time space visualizer, which actually doesn't quite make sense since that's only supposed to view the past. But anyway. Vicky is excited that they made it, and the doctor is morose, and I'm sure I'll put a quote in here, and he says, I shall miss them. I shall miss them. Yes, I shall miss them. City of spots. Come along, my dear. It's time we were off. Now, they could be in the future, because the last stop was 1996 or something, 98, whatever. Yeah, well, I guess it depends on what you mean by future when you're talking about time space visualizer. (laughs) And then the TARDIS disappears from Mechanus, and we get a space shot with the TARDIS in flight, and it's the end of the episode. And so the doctor's left with my my least favorite crew member. (laughs) And then, now, uh, I had a question before you, before you said, I had a question for oh, you. Okay. I wanted to l- give you a chance to predict what is going to happen in the first part of the next episode. <laughs> well, I have a feeling, uh, seeing as how, uh, Stephen showed up, you know, kind of out of nowhere in this episode, 
And he was really enthusiastic about being rescued, and he made his way out of the burning city, uh, and he escaped that deadly mushroom towards the end there, and then we lost track of it. I'm thinking he snuck into the TARDIS at an opportune moment, <laughs> and he's going to be uh, uh, carrying some of the weight that was formerly carried by Ian and Barbara. Interesting guess. guess. We shall see. Now, I will say, you know, this is supposed to be the TARDIS with the 23-segment lock that will, you know, destruct (laughs) if you do the wrong thing. So I'm not quite sure how he would have stowed away, but who knows? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm not not sure about that. Although if they had the door open, he could have slipped in while it was (laughs) open. Yeah. Well, we shall see. People will have to come back for the next story to find out. What happened with Stephen? <laughs> if anything, so let's talk about the story. So coming back, so here's me, you know, giving my thing as I mentioned. It, when I think on this story, there are two episodes that are actually both from this last half that I think about. You know, I don't think about the fish people <laughs> on Tatooine <laughs> and whatever. I don't even remember what happened last episode. I don't remember those three episodes. What I think yeah, about well, that is, was the Mary Celeste and the yeah, uh, the Mar- okay, the New Mary York Celeste City is fine. And- yeah, that, that's true. I'm sorry. That okay. Let me correct myself. Uh, From the first three episodes, I do enjoy the New York City Mary Celeste one, and from the second three episodes, I do like the really dorky, you know, Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> I like that setup. Too. And I like this last episode. I love the mechanoids. I, I wish, I mean, the mechanoids don't really come back. You know, it was another attempt to do a new Daleks. They don't come back. I would love to have a mechanoid toy. That's the one toy I haven't been able to find. <laughs> I love their fight. And I love the ending with Barbara and Ian. So when it comes to the overall story, as I said, this is one of those where, as a Doctor Who junkie, I, I can't have perspective because those things oh, sure. are the things I enjoy, even though the story as a whole, you know, probably isn't great, but I like these parts of it. So it, it then is up to you to say, you know, is the whole thing here worth watching? What do you, what do you feel about this? Well, well, first, assuming that this isn't just a fake out and that, and that Ian and Barbara really are gone mm-hmm. then i'd think at least the last episode would be almost almost required viewing just so yeah. you can see how that wraps up beyond that i don't know i did enjoy the episode with new york and mary celeste and i i liked the frankenstein's castle one although it was kind of it was kind of aimless it was more yeah it's more of a sentimental thing because I like the the haunted house setting and so forth. You know, it was just mm-hmm. fun. But uh, as an episode, it wasn't really that fantastic. Right, right. Nothing really happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, overall, there's, like so many Doctor Who episodes, it's this story arc has moments that are fun to watch and worth watching, but... And the last episode is is worth watching both for the fancy city city model, and the uh, the mechanoids and the uh, the departure of Ian and Barbara. But the overall series, I'd say episodes. The last episode is worth watching. The previous episodes, you could pretty much skip them. I mean, they're they're not they're not awful, but you know, it, it's episode six that's really the 
Right. Sort of the crux. Yeah, I think it's probably fair. I mean, episode six is the only real you can't miss if you're interested at all in the flow of the series, right? Because you, you want to yeah. see Ian and Barbara's final episode. And, and again, that last five, 10 minutes where they're fighting with the doctor is really quite effective and, you know, calls back to their relationship all the way back to the beginning. And, you know, so yeah, I think that's really good. I think uh, if I'm allowed to, if I'm allowed to choose individual episodes as worth watching, I'd say both number six and the, uh, was it number three that was Mary Celeste in New York City? Whichever episode that was, I'd put that in there too. That just, that's just fun. <laughs> mm. Okay. And I mean, normally we talk about actors and stuff, but there, because this goes everywhere, there aren't really any standout actors that aren't part of the crew. So there's, I mean, there's Steven at the end that we talk about, of course, but, uh, yeah. Other and and well, I guess Stephen is the uh, the New Yorker, Alabama guy. But otherwise, yeah, not a lot to talk about. Yeah, you know, Terranation repeat of Keys of Marinus, <laughs> this time with the Daleks. So next up, we have the last story of the second season. So I'll be very curious to see what you think about that. I have strong feelings about it. We'll <laughs> see what happens. All right, very good. Yeah, we're making, uh, just plowing through these seasons here. <laughs> we're plowing through like we took a year to get through two seasons. Because we're, you know, I mean, we're literally coming up on a year here, but with all the other stuff we do. Oh, uh, yeah. So this one is the Time Meddler. So join us next time for the Time Meddler. this show from when we were kids where there was a cop who was a robot um who looked like a human so he was an android um and i just remember like people trying to punch him and he'd you know be avoiding all their mm. their punches and everything so you find this could have been holmes and yo-yo hmm name means nothing to me let me see uh mm. it'd be holmes like h-o-l-m-e-s I was saying, cop, yo-yo. robot, all, well, that's, <clears throat> Holmes and Yo-Yo, that probably is it, 76 to 77, so that would make sense for me to remember it. Um, oh, God, and that actor looks familiar. He's got the robot. Yeah, hard luck, police detective and his android partner. Who's that? John Shuck, what has he done? Let's see, because he just it. sure looks familiar. Um. He's been in MASH and Star Trek and Dick Tracy. Okay, I guess he's... Um, wow, that's one... Especially as I like, think it didn't go that long. I could see doing that sometime. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. It <laughs> um, could be fun. Holmes and Yo-Yo. What a weird name for the TV series. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Yo-Yo... What was the, I, I think the story was like the robot was invented by a guy named Yo-Yo Vinsky or something like that. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay, I'm going to leave this tab up here. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> you fool!